Start it. Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official, or one of the official podcasts of Gravel. I'm Beto. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. I have to work on that intro, JP. I have to uh, sort that out. Um, where are we now with you? Yeah. We're still the official, but like, I don't know. We can't go flagship because voices have gotten that, so we need a the new premier. Uh, title. Premier title. Sorry, James. Are you up? Yeah, we're the, we're the premier. We were here first, mate. We put this uh, this thing in motion. We came, we, we came from the woods of Indie Corner to, to here uh, and got ourselves, uh, got ourselves to this point. I wouldn't be trusting those fuckers on flashback, though, wherever they are. <laughs> wouldn't be having them. Oh, there is full, of shit, full of shit, them lads, living in the past. <laughs> the Grapple Audio Network, yeah. Certainly uh, not heroes. <laughs> uh, how are you both? First things, it's another Monday night uh, we're recording here. Another, mm-hmm. It's been a whirlwind of a day for wrestling news and drama, which we'll definitely talk about. But I don't know. Let's talk how's your lives, how's things? How, how are we all feeling? Uh, a week on from the uh, the anger of last week, and the anger of the week before, and the anger of the week before that. I feel less angry, angry this week myself. You feeling more angry? I'm feeling less angry. I'm I was. I was sort of late last week on the weekend based on um, the Daily Mail uh, and the Daily Mail's uh, treatment and smearing of unions and sort of by proxy teachers, which obviously me and JP... Uh, are teachers, so I don't like being told that I could be a hero, and uh, I, I don't like the Daily Mail saying that I want to be a hero because I didn't get into teaching to be a hero, and if you did, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'm not happy, but the right wing press are, you know, they've moved on from the immigrants at the moment. You know, poor people will come later on. I'm sure if there's a wave of austerity at some point. We'll smear them again. But at the moment, you know, we'll just do unions and a little bit of teachers and we'll get Michael Gove on the news and let him do the rounds on a Sunday to also talk about how much uh, teachers love their jobs. And (laughs) yeah, I don't mind my job at times, you know, there's a reason I do it. It's quite fulfilling. But at the same time, there is a global pandemic going on. Uh, but you can tell what the obvious uh, government line is right now, and you can tell that uh, whatever pals that they have at the Daily Mail um, are also supporting that kind of line of thinking as well. And yeah, interesting. And I don't feel like they've got support on their side, thankfully, yet. So let's see how this one plays out. And I'm looking at JP across a camera, and he could be a fucking era if he wants to. He doesn't even realise it, do you, JP? Well... When I signed up for the PGCE, and we probably have maybe different motivations, I did it for the Avengers Star Kit. So it's now my fucking time to shine in terms of being a hero um, because I get to be whichever Avenger I want to be. Um, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's like, be heroes. But by the way, there's nothing. You'll be fine going back in. And it's like, mm. okay, so is everyone a hero that returns to work? Have you not devalued heroes in the process by this? <laughs> Ra- rather like the plot of the first Incredibles film. Um, but no, like I see this stuff happening, this fucking bullshit about it. And, and, and funnily enough, part of my job, and I can't go into too much on it, part of the other side of my job, or part of my job is from a union perspective, and the amount of stuff that it takes to open up buildings for what might be if you're trying to prevent a spike in the future and you're trying to think about, and some buildings aren't fit for purpose for that. And if there's a spike in it, then it 
you know, it's there is a lot that needs to happen, particularly when it comes to opening up schools and the rest of it. But I don't know if it's just me. I don't sense still there's like a public mood to get back no. to normal life. No, uh, uh, no, especially not up here. Well, you lads need to move up north. We've got the uh, the Manchester Metro Mayor. We've got Liverpool in general refusing to uh, to back down to the. Uh, to the whims of uh, the Tory government trying to get the schools open again. Like, people have a go at um, Joe Anderson, and they should because he's a knob, mm. uh, our mayor. But, you know, I'll, I'll stand behind him on this one. Um, not wanting to open well, any of our schools until at least September. Well, it's really, it's really interesting because the schools that... And me and JP aren't going to go back till at least September. We're kind of in the right position. My yeah. girlfriend's a primary school teacher. She's been going in a couple of days a week during this. She's going to end up going in every day, probably uh, come June. Um, but at the same time, what I found really interesting was that the schools that are kind of stood their ground and the areas where the schools stood their ground, local schools that are under the local authority still, mm. those that are desperate to open and those that you see in the press talking about how teachers are desperate to go back and how we need to get back underway are those connected to academy trusts which i fucking despise and i think it's a terrible ideological move and unfortunately it was the blair government that got it underway and then the tories went fucking rampant with it and to kind of privatize sort of free education in some way and to see it as a form of profiteering and for those who sit at the top making these kind of fat salaries from being a director of several schools and academy trust it's quite interesting how they seem to be the ones that want to want us to go back isn't it yeah mm. wonder they why got... that is wouldn't be a bit of self-interest there would it rather than thinking about everyone else or the society or the nation or the children they go and it's amazing that the tories are suddenly interested in young people how can we deprive our young our young people how can we deprive our young children how can we let them fall behind and I'm you can deprive them by voting tory when was the last time you lot showed any semblance of a shit or care or interest about young people. Oh, when it suits you during a global pandemic, so you can force people back into schools because it's to the advantage of you lot, and it's kind of a distraction for the week away from various statistics as well, possibly. So, yeah, that was this is a fun one, isn't it, to start, start <laughs> off on? That was such a good mood I, as well, Joe. Sorry, <laughs> mate. <laughs> I've, just been, I've been having a great time these last few days, kind of... Burying my head in TW, getting out of the uh, the real world. Um, no, you can't avoid it though. It is literally just, it's everywhere, isn't it? Like it's just you never. Go, we're never going to be able to do like a weekly current affairs podcast where it isn't affecting some facet of our lives. Like I just watched last week tonight, and that they're talking about like they were talking about wrestling in general. But you know that they're basically just coronavirus episodes at this point. That's just the world we live in. Yeah. Charlie Brooker was last week. I haven't caught up on that yet. Uh, you can't avoid what's out the front window. Well, it's militant unions, mate. That's the problem at the moment. Those <laughs> militant unions. Not. It's like the thing I don't understand is if a union wasn't thinking about its members at a time like this and wasn't considering collective bargaining at a time like this, what's the point in it existing? It wouldn't be yeah. doing its job, but it's militant because it's negotiating. It's like... Report the facts. Don't report like the populist yeah. smearing shite. But then, what do you expect from the fucking Daily Mail? Well, it's the cover, wasn't yeah. it? It was like those ba those bastard unions. It was like it, they talk about unions like they're just this 
thing that exists like like journalism where it's like oh the media the media do this the media do that it's just like yeah unions are the evil ones who are just desperate to evilly stop the country making any money and to stop people going to work. in, Not that in their mind members. it's the 70s it's the yeah, window of discontent yeah. and they and, and they refuse to let things move up move on from that mm. and yeah it's it's really bad mm. um and unfortunately it's kind of led us a lot into the situation we're in now is it still second highest um death toll here in the uk mm. yeah my, my um my stepdad's a bit every now and then he'll he'll buy the daily mail and i always get annoyed when he buys it oh and yeah, I, I know i know my, my dad used, every day mate every my, day my granddad used to buy the sun and we live in liverpool and that's like you don't really get Jesus. away with that around here um but yeah it'd be my stepdad's been like that he's like oh we just need to open things up we're gonna have to do it eventually so why not now and it's a bit like oh, okay <laughs> that's the attitude these papers kind of breathe isn't it um, those that i've heard saying this are a lot of uh people around that sort of age like yeah. 50s up i've found mm-hmm. um a lot of kind of like just tie up your bootstraps and get on with it types, and it's like we won a war. We won two wars. That stuff. That attitude during a global pandemic yeah, and, and, doesn't well, work. Famously, in World War Two, the um, enemy could be uh, transferred by touch and tiny droplets, and the Nazis were invisible. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like a fucking war. Oh, God's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear that stuff with it. I, I did think it was funny. You mentioned about last week tonight and. Um, and Charlie Brooker, and both of them covered wrestling. Yeah, in for that as well. So it's everything is going to be coronavirus linked. Yeah. It's just going to be all these weird offshoots of stuff and about how it's coping and about how the world is coping in different ways. And I know before we we recorded this, we all end up watching last week tonight, mm. which is always brilliant. Generally, at the best of times. And he kind of really covered there in terms of all of the logistical problems about sports. And then I was thinking to myself while watching it. So I've gone, gone on to the wrestling very quickly here. Sorry, lads. Many apologies. But That's I was thinking a wrestling myself, podcast, isn't it? Apparently. Come on, Jay. Yeah. We've got another 20 minutes of nonsense to go here. Go on. Exactly. Exact. But I was just thinking, Vince hasn't tested anyone, has he? No. And as bad as Dana is. Yeah. You're a coward. Mm. If it, that's, why, that's why you got the virus. Because <laughs> you're weak. And you don't eat burritos. Yeah, they're using the same arguments though, aren't they? Like that was mentioned on last week tonight about sports in general, where like these like college football teams and stuff are like, well, you know, the the young strong athletes. If anyone can be the people who can get back to work and be them, we're gonna get that argument with the footy as well. There's only so much match of their day uh, the general public are willing to uh, to put up with, apparently. And we're gonna we're gonna. I mean, the prem's gonna be starting by like I'm convinced now. It's July, like at worst, like it's coming. If if the the Bundesliga started this weekend, I don't know if either of you watched that. Um, I, I can't get. They probably did record numbers on BT Sports. I couldn't even get on. They the didn't. Website. didn't. Oh, didn't they? Didn't do that well. Didn't they? No, 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 no. It felt I, like I everyone. I, you know what? It felt like everyone I knew was watching. But the other reason I spoke to my stepdad was I was trying to get his BT Sports login. So maybe there was just a lot of people doing that. Ah. <laughs> I get it with my phone contract. So yeah. and it's weirdly BT Sport have actually got sports that are on. Mm. You know they've got WWE if you're counting that on there. They've got mm. UFC. And they've got Bundesliga. Mm. So they're kind of pretty well stocked. I imagine Sky at the minute are completely suffering. And I shed zero fucking tears for them. While simultaneously <laughs> playing the world's smallest violin. Um, not much sympathy for them on, on that front. Um, I, I, I watched it. I watched some of that Dortmund-Schalke game. And uh, do you know, it was, it was just a training match. Mm. A very good training match. And I imagine there's some players who'll come out very good, 
like it might be Theo Walcott's time to shine here because mm. he won't need to shit himself, will he? Like he's <laughs> he's prone to doing Benno. As, as all three of us may know, perhaps not Joe as much. You think he got the good end of Theo Walcott? <laughs> he was gone while he was sixteen, yeah. so yeah. you know exactly. Uh, um, so they might shine on that front, but I watched it. I couldn't watch a whole game of football though. No. It'll be different when Arsenal play, but oof. leave me with me retro football, JP. Like not to um, yeah. upset you too much on the opening to this show, Joe. But I watched the match of their day this weekend. Was um, they were doing like uh, the best moments of like winning the league and relegation battles, like the, the opposite ends of the table, and they went with I think it's two thousand five. Is it when Southampton went down? Oh, yeah, um, we lose to Man United on the last day and West it. Brom stay up. Yeah. Jeff Horsfield oh, scores for West Brom. He was yeah. the guest on oh, like, it. Um, I'd forgot his existence, but if there was ever a player, they, I think he's like a painter and decorator in real life. He's a oh, proper, like, high-in chips, foot, you know, proper, like, non-league style football. He looked a hard fucker in the day. Oh, he was hilarious. Like, I was loving his interview on that. I was sad for you, Joe, watching it. I was thinking, I hope, I hope uh, Joe hasn't taken my oh. recommendations to watch this series. Sad year, that one for you. I watched the uh, one with Everton. And, Did you? Uh, one one. The week before. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got them all recorded, so I'm making my way through them slowly. Uh, so I've watched the Ian Wright one, watched the Danny Murphy one. Oh, good. I started another one. What was the one I started? I can't remember, but mm. they're all on the recorder. So I will I will relive that harrowing day in 2005. <laughs> where I, was, I was very sad and went off football for an entire season. Apart from Arsenal's Champions League running 05, 06. I kept up with that and watched Champions League, but I couldn't watch Premier League football that season. I found it hard to watch us in the Championship. Mm. It was a weird season. Like my knowledge of that season is like I, I just don't remember anything just from the league. Out. It was another boring Chelsea like march to the title with Mourinho having them play boring football, from what I remember. Mm. So I just had no interest and. Yeah, I don't even think I went to a game that season. I think that was the first season I'd never been to a game since I started going to football. That's funny because you're quite fond of the league parts of the League One stuff. Yeah, but that was the... So when we were in the championship for that first season, I found it really weird. Like, I couldn't get used to it. Um, I didn't know know what to think of it, even though I... Redknapp gets a bad rap as Saints manager because he took us down the went to Pompey, obviously. If we had Redknapp from the start of that season when we went down, we'd have finished mid-table. We had a good run there. He inherited a team that had lost, like, I think we'd lost 12 of our first 14 games or something, up rightly, under Steve Wigley, if you remember him. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just went completely. And then it wasn't until we went to League One, when we always went into administration, that's when I got really invested again when uh, Pardew came in. And that's probably one of my favourite <laughs> eras of, of being a Saints fan because that was when we had that spine of a team and we had like Lambert, Lalana, Schneidlin, um, Jose Fonte, and you know, that spine took us to Premiership. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, that um... was that was my favourite era. They actually they paired your game, like you know, I was saying they're doing like relegations and um and like big big final days, I think was the gimmick. And they did uh they paired it with the United with that United City year twenty twelve when uh the Aguero ninety minutes and you know in four four minutes left stop of stoppage time, uh when he scores when United think they've got the league in and like I'd forgotten how dramatic that was because you kind of I don't know about you Joe like this was kind of where like. Because I had a season ticket, I think, that season, or maybe the year before. But like you were saying the other week about kind of the money in football and kind of losing love for it. And like that big city run, you know, is maybe part of that problem. But I'd forgotten how 
I'll be honest, watching it, watching City win that league, like how great, how, how, what a dramatic moment it was. And also, like, I think, I think maybe seeing Southampton go to those depths and for me, seeing Everton maybe not get relegated, but be really bad, like in the 90s and uh, quite a bit of the 2000s as well, at least before Moyes came on board. For those City fans, like, getting to see, like, you know, they've, they've been with their team through fucking some shit. And you kind of forget that now, because, like, I know a couple of City fans from work and they do my head in, but you forget kind of what they came from and you've... Almost no way gonna give it to him because that was like that was an um. But I was watching that game by the way in Madrid. We gone um for my dad's fiftieth birthday. Um, this was what eight years ago now. We'd taken him to uh, Madrid to go watch a Real Madrid game, and they were winning the league that year as well. So we'd actually missed the game live because we were at the Real Madrid game, which was incredible oh, wow. experience. Um, yeah, we watched them like lift the trophy and do all the intros for all the players and stuff. Still can't believe we got tickets now, to be honest, me and my brother and my dad. So I'd never actually watched the United City game live. It's like I couldn't even remember really watching the highlights other than seeing the big. You know the big moments and the Aguero goal and stuff. It was it was incredible. Got to give got a hand to them. To be fair, I know a couple of City fans, and you can see how much it meant to them. I was with the United fan when that happened. Yeah, so was I. I was watching was the you? United Sunderland game <laughs> rather than the City game. <laughs> he was he took it so. Much. I don't know how the the person who you were with Joe took it. But the person I was not with, well. <laughs> he took it better than I would have. As I tell you that, we I went for a massive curry afterwards and watched Taxi Driver that evening. That was his way of cheer himself up. It, it, it was it was an all right evening afterwards. I think for me and him, we were pissed off because we just hate City mm. and we hate what City represent as a football club, the ownership structure. I know the Glazers aren't perfect and what they did with the club isn't perfect, but I think it's where the money comes from with City when you think about the Middle East and influence in mm. football. Um, and I think I was just determined for City not to succeed mm. and to just keep fucking up and fucking up until the inevitable was going to happen where they were going to buy a league title mm. and I just didn't want it to happen and me and him were very, we're very much on the same line when it comes to football very much have the same philosophy belief system very sort of similar mindset and we were both I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm a United fan but I was crushed because I hate City <laughs> because to me Man City um, in the Sheikh Mansour era are a different side but not Man City they cease to be Man City on the day that he bought the club and they became this kind of like satellite team that are based in Manchester and have the history of that club. But that day Man City kind of died for me and they just became this other kind of being, if anything. So yeah, I don't view them as the same club. I don't see, I see uh, the Steve Lomas, Niall Quinn, uh, Uwe <laughs> Rosler and Tony Poton era. Sean Gota. Oh, feed the goat and he will score. Yeah. 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 Read and charge yeah. And all that stuff. Yeah, Jilly- year as City is the last year I view him as City. That game oh. against Gillingham, I remember watching that in a pub in the playoff. Oh, final. the playoff final! That was great. The Nicky Weaver and the penalty oh, yeah. shootout. Yeah. <laughs> if I there's bet- one thing I loved about that point in time was a playoff final. They were, mm. ma- oh, they they were, were great during that era. That was when Joe Royal was Man City manager as well. I was well. going to say right. Joe Royal, yeah, yeah. I was following him a little bit then because I love Joe Royal. He signed the football for me at uh, Evans training ground once, so I always thought he was a great man. Yeah. <laughs> First <laughs> FA Cup final I ever remember, Ben, I was the Everton United 95. 95- final yeah. i was gutted that day as well i was cheering on united oh, oh unbelievable i had <laughs> we had newspapers in the window all kinds massive day that for me for my uh, my childhood um dunking an ammo up front and stuff oh great times <laughs> um i was gonna say like on a, on a wrestling point though i did want to mention like uh, if we're talking retro stuff we've uh jp you've been uh having a bit of a fun time these last uh 
few days, haven't you? We this is normally where we'd segue into football manager or championship manager, but we've at least managed oh, to get no. you on a on a wrestling track these last couple of days. You've been here uh, joining yeah. me at the TW. Like I've got I've got to hear about your say game. You can't. I did like a. I've been doing experimenting with a couple of Twitch streams these last few days um just really to amuse myself while i've been playing the game but it's been fun to do book an AEW and taking it quite seriously uh apart from when it comes to sacking people i think i sacked jimmy havoc as my literally first thing on the job uh in my AEW stream the but... first thing you asked him to do benno was to lose weight oh yeah no, sorry to go on yeah. steroids i said i asked him to go on steroids and he said yeah, no sorry, and then i asked him to lose some weight and he said yeah and i was like you you little you know what he comes across as this alpha and he's just like yeah yeah i'll lose weight as if he's got any to lose and yeah i did immediately sack him the chat room loved it though jp so there's that but other than that i've been taking my game quite seriously and then you're in the chat and you jumped on the uh, the stream last night telling us about your uh yeah <laughs> your uh your, is it a progress save you've got running the uh the, yeah the <laughs> problematic I, I have... pro wrestling <laughs> it is it is it's very much something as you can see like my my um my kind of passion project in wrestling is problematic pro wrestling. <laughs> Mentioned it several times. Very curious. It's kind of loosely based. I was saying it last. I was loosely based on. Um, it was a thread that my son had found uh, mm. about uh, Millwall save on Football Manager, mm. where the person basically decided to make the biggest shit house of a club with the filthiest players. You sign players based on aggression ratings and whatnot. He made sure all of his coaching staff was full of people like Lee Catamole, eventually, who he'd spent like three years trying to sign. Ashley Barnes was in there. It was just full of absolute filth from top to bottom. <laughs> and like, obviously, he said, I'm not really judging this in whether or not um, how many points I'm getting. I'm judging it in how many fines I get, what the accumulated total is, always aimed over six figures. And if I can get over 20 red cards, mm. which he would do, at times because it was just like it was just an aggressive approach and they made sure to drill it into the youth players and that's what they had to do as well anyway mm. rambled on along about that that was the influence behind what i did um behind trying to set up and it's the first ever go i've had at tw watching you the night before go right okay thinking about this so i started to put together um basically progress gone very very wrong <laughs> very wrong benno um <laughs> It's dark. It's probably <laughs> well, you tell us dark. on the podcast, JP, in like a I'm recorded wary. environment. You're gonna have to give the censored version. I think. I think so. If for a lot of people, if you're thinking, "Oh, yeah, you can't hire them," the chances are, is I've made feelers. <laughs> to give you a clue, at the lower end of the scale is your Teddy Hearts and whatnot. Um, I'm looking Invader One. Um, Invader One Jiggy Walker is something that Joe had suggested. <laughs> I think that's something I'd like to go along with. Jiggy Walker is Invader One's young boy, I reckon. <laughs> uh, there's a story, and I think we could do that. And I don't know if you build him up to a match against William Eva, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> there's, 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 yeah. And, and to be honest with you, again, like the logic behind it is progress booked by Fritz von Erich, hmm. but an angry Fritz von Erich. And um, Fritz von Erich with a bit of the tendencies of um, Herb Abrams. <laughs> So I had to go into the backroom settings. So the only rules are is that I've got a dirty doctor backstage and I give them catering. Because I figured the amount of drugs they're going to be taking backstage, they're going to be hungry. I think mm. the least I can do is feed them during the entire process of trying to ruin their lives. I've made changes to what wrestlers would do. 
I've actually tried to put some stories in there. Okay. But it's like the inner Rob Black is just coming through for how I should book this promotion. <laughs> it's like, yeah, ECW, but I don't want the classiness. I want like an XBW kind of experience to it as well. New Jack is in there. Um, the, the title of the big story is just called Book of Jim. And I'll just leave that out there. Um, <laughs> there are some organizational, there are some titles of some groups on there. There could be issues with them. So I will be putting out a poll tomorrow about whether or not this is something that people want to see on Twitch. Yes. Whilst, but also trying to think as a coward that I am and someone who's always trying to cover his own ass, I'm very tempted to let people in the chat make the decisions mm. about the really bad stuff. Oh, because this and could be a facilitator. I'll facilitate it. Well, I've had some I'll... booking ideas already for you. Oh, yeah. Go on. Yeah, you have. And um, yeah, it's. It, trust me, I've set up the game where it can get a lot fucking worse. A lot worse. Like I said before, I'm not going to judge this like you would do on what it gets the rating out of 100 for it. Mm. When there's fights in the ballroom, then I've succeeded. Mm. Between that, fans. Between fans. <laughs> At right. that point, I've succeeded in the game. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm going with. I'm actually playing as Jim Smallman during it as well. <laughs> and that My is friends. entirely coincidental for the fact that fact he blocked me on Twitter this week. <laughs> I swear to God, this was being put in place before that. And I thought, all right, well, I won't share, I won't share with him my ideas then in that case. So are you going to get Invader 1 on the booking committee or is he talent? He's talent at the minute. Right. I'm kind of opening to perhaps opening up for some more bastards for, um, who've worked Puerto Rico at various points. Abdullah the Butcher's retired. Mm. Um, okay. Well, you don't want yeah. to see, you know, becoming prominent in the promotion, I imagine, either. So, Well, actively, I'd be kind of promote it, given the kind of lawless <laughs> nature yeah. of it. Um, yeah. yeah. The, these are things that kind of, I think, add a little bit to kind of edge to the backstage situation. It's not real. I'm going to stress that point in here. But yeah, it gives it a kind of an... I, I don't know whether the Adam Ryland thought when he made this, whether <laughs> I can create some dark dystopian world based <laughs> on wrestling, but fuck it, here we are. I've got a question. So you want to do yeah. Invade... You seem very determined to do Invader 1 against... I think you're you keener have... on this Invader 1 angle. He wasn't going to be a main focus of... Well, it's when you told me earlier before we started the call that you got Invader 1. Oh, yeah. Get out left. <laughs> I'd be more excited about the Bodum sneak attack on Quar and Noir after the first ballroom show, which I'm I'm basically saying is akin to the first five minutes of Blue Velvet, where you look <laughs> at picket fences and it's all very nice and you think... Oh, it's a regular progress card. Trust me, it's, there's not one Frank Booth. There are about 40 of the fuckers, and they're waiting to come in as an invading force. So is Josh Bodum well basically in the Dennis Hopper role, though? He's Frank Booth. He is. Um, I've also changed his setting, so he's a heavy steroid user. That should make him a bit nice and, nice and lively backstage, <laughs> so along with the other people in his faction. ribbon. He's trading that in for the steroids. For anyone I who's think so, yeah. Right, okay. Paps oh. bro ribbon, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've yeah. got a question about the Invader 1 Believer match. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was a match you seemed to want to do. Yeah. Is that because... He looks like Bruiser Brody, absolutely. 100%. Well, he likes to use certain sharp objects. 
and you've put two and two together and thought, right, crucifixion, sharp objects, excuse to use them, bad taste. I can crucify right. something in the ballroom while referencing the Bruiser Bo- Brody uh, stabbing incident. Is that a thought process that's gone f- that you've gone through, or it I'm wasn't too far ahead? Right, but fuck it. I am more than happy to go with that if it gets the kind of heat where people are genuinely upset and offended. I've won. I don't so, know if crucifixion angle would get the heat it got in ECW in what ninety six. Uh, you Kurt Angle backstage to piss get pissed off. Yeah, well, I did think I was going to look at some point for some very serious hardcore Christian wrestlers mm. and try and set up a, a, a try and see if I can gain an alliance with it, maybe House of Glory or something, but just not really tell them what they're like. Get so Ted Yassi in. Well, he's up, mate. Did you not hear? He's like he got was it one point two million scam. He was yeah, running in with Mississippi his sons or something, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Benno had the hints that maybe uh, Ted's not perhaps always on the up and up, is he? <laughs> um, he likes to use that money, money, saying, money for certain things. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> he's not a pa- he's not a pastor all of the day, is he? Like <laughs> Fucking love it. You put me to shame, JP. Like my game is so pedestrian. Like the, the biggest thing that happened in my game is I, I signed Jim Cornette for AEW and pissed off my entire locker room with the <laughs> idea that I was going to bring in the revival. And then one of the members of the rival, Dax, maybe I think, no cash, yep. signed for cash me. Signed. And then Dax, Dax fucked off and signed for WWE. That was the highlight of my stream. So, yeah, if you, if you do this, yeah. JP, like, I will be there day one following this along on Twitch. Problematic pro wrestling. You've, uh, you reminded me a bit of me, uh, me BWE draft on there. I tried to get Bodum in. That was a shout for you, Joe. I did my best uh, to get Bodum in, but apparently he hasn't wrestled this year. I was hoping he'd, like, done, like, a, a shitty local show or something in January or something. I would have got lucky. Um, but I don't know if, yeah, it, it's going to be now. Nah, I think, I think uh, the cockpit the day after that, your cool incident was it was his uh, was his last show. I don't think he's wrestled a match since then. Is he kickboxed or done MMA or whatever. He gets oh, up he to? thinks he's a fucking boxer, <laughs> he thinks he's a tough guy, prick. Buddy, <laughs> looking at his Instagram, that bloke's, bloke's an idiot at the end of the day. Loved him as a wrestler, great mm. entertainment, although, you know, incredibly difficult to work with by the sound of things and by watching his matches at times. But mm. yeah, I- I'd love to see him in the ballroom. That was always my dream. Him mm. and Sebastian were my favorite trolls. Uh, and unfortunately, didn't Bowden do like one progress match, but yeah. him, him turning up there and just getting max heat oh. was always, always what I dreamed of. Mm. My first, I haven't, I've set it up in the booking for the first one. The last angle is Cara Noir wins a, a kind of world title match against David Starr. Bodum runs in like with a mask, attacks him, and then runs off with the world runs off with the progress title belt. And there's the Bodum story. And I'm working my ass, mate, trying to get Sebastian out of retirement. Trust me, I'm on that. He'll be in there as well. Oh, cutting some promos, which yeah, the options they give you on that is like a red rag to a bull if you're trying to create stuff that's just wrong on (laughs) every level. I never got the Sebastian hate. The bloke was hilarious. Like, whenever he turned up, I was like, ah, this guy. Like, he wasn't a great wrestler, but as a troll, he was like a good version of The Miz, basically. And he got got his performance as well, didn't he? You know, like, he took that horrible powerbomb into the crowd from Eva. Obviously, the the hot, the horrific clothesline. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that went wrong, but you know, you know what I mean? It was like, it was a bad guy getting his comeuppance. Uh, I think people just took it too personally, didn't they? Like, it was back when we all they took did. progress really seriously, and we were, um, not us, but I think people were gen- genuinely annoyed that this 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 character wrestler who wasn't any good bell to bell was 
was in the, in a, in a quote unquote work rate promotion and uh, stinking the joint up. Like, he was great. He was a great heel in there. Uh, it was hilarious. He's a prick. I, I don't deny that. Like he is a great prick. But he's also hilarious as well in being a prick. So yeah, look, I, I the world like, needs pricks. We don't need pricks in yeah. power who are preening narcissists and think about themselves when you know running a country during a global pandemic. But a prick at a wrestling company, I'm um, fine with that. Michael Jordan. In the last dance. Oh, my God. He's necessarily a prick. He's a tyrant. I like him more. But do you know what? Yeah, he is. Mm. But he, fuck me. You look at those results yeah. and what he ends up creating by the end of it. And you're kind of going, is this the way sport needs to be? Yeah. You need someone there who's willing to just be the bad guy. Roy Keane? You know? Oh, I yeah. was thinking the exact same thing. Ben James, I, you mentioned yeah. that. I'm stealing that point from him. But like, oh, you say there's a yeah. lot of similarities between Roy, Ke- Roy Keane and uh, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, obviously, Roy, Roy Keane probably is yeah. the best footballer of all time. I was but... very much in favour of Roy Keane during Saipan. My dad was not. <laughs> it was it, it was a moment of tension. And I tried to race him the bigger points of the FAA, FAI, and he just called Roy Keane a prick. And that was his defence, pretty much. Roy's going to be Both coming up Roy later in as some well. Ways. Oh, I've got some points Roy. based around Roy later on in this podcast. But yeah, good. I was thinking the same thing, Benno. Imagine a world where Roy, or imagine a football world where Roy Keane never played. It would be far more boring, wouldn't mm, it? Yeah. You need the dickheads. Yeah. You need it. And sometimes, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a sign of like, I don't, like we've said with, you know, when people have a go at Osprey, I don't affect, expect the, uh, the top athletes in the world to also be upstanding people. Not that there's anything wrong with Osprey, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't have that oh. expectation that Wayne Rooney's a fucking, you know, genius or like Ronaldo's some fucking scientist. Well, he isn't you know? that role, can he? <laughs> he is when he's doing those Telegraph comment, uh, columns. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, amazing. With his rock impersonation, I think it's almost like expecting them to have the same beliefs as you. Mm. Whilst also, you may not like other people having different beliefs, but that's the world, and Undertaker. that's the world. It's the world you live in, isn't mm. it? Not the world that you necessarily want it to be. Oh yeah. And and given the current circumstances, it feels like there's so much bigger fish to fry oh, than yeah. what some people were willing to get upset over at points. So, but oh, like today, like my. Among other news stories, my Twitter's been blowing up because I tweeted that um, we're going to talk about the Undertaker documentary series on WWE a bit later on the network. Mm. And like there is a scene, and I I am the one who posted it, where he's he's, he's stood there in a Trump t-shirt, but it's like a Pulp Fiction knockoff, and it's so bad. But it's I've to say like I, I'm fully aware like he's a he's a he's a redneck from Texas, you know. Like what what was the vote? It was like fifty three million to fifty five million that in the popular vote that Hillary won. The Hillary, oh, I want to say it was more than that. I want to say it was sixty eight to sixty five. Right, something like. That. But there's not a yeah. lot, is it? There's like three million. Three million there. between. Yeah, so basically, you're, t- you're saying... Out of a country of 330. You're mm. saying just below half the electorate voted Republican. Well, just below half of your favourite wrestlers, especially the people who get dropped, have been dropped on the head for 20 years, and especially the people who live in certain places, they might just turn out to be Republicans. Uh, it is all, It is hilarious, though, that he, he wears that stuff, and he wears like his, his Blue Lives Matter t-shirt and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's... Be- like, I, I, You don't expect anything less, do you? Especially no. with his friendship with Vince mm. but uh, I, I think there's there's being you know a Republican and voting Republican but then there's like outwardly like using like and wearing clothing that endorses someone like Trump that yeah, I'm just like that is another step isn't it uh, come yeah, on it is, mate. Yeah. like you're not doing your credibility 
a lot of good here by being like by openly wearing a t-shirt like that you know i like to think that during a global pandemic the undertaker has looked at those t-shirts and thought actually i'm what i was wearing the t-shirt with a guy on who has you know openly looked to divide a country even further during a global pandemic in order to score political points uh and has told people to do really crazy stupid things during this global pandemic as well i'd like to think he's got that sort of self-reflection don't know if he has. I think he just likes to think about sure. The Undertaker a lot yeah. and his close personal relationship with Vince. Oh, yeah. Do you reckon um, Sebastian would, would turn up at the ballroom in the ORN environment, JP, or, or Bodum in a Trump T-shirt? Not a Trump T-shirt, a Boris T-shirt, because that does sound like something one of them two would do, to be fair. But for heat, not to... Uh... Now, Bodum's a Boris man. He was all over is that he? the election, his Instagram. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, of course he I was. was. Like, I wouldn't expect anything fucking less, would you? Oh, no, <laughs> Oh, um, I, suppose not, I was yeah. going to say in my promotion, mate, the faces wear, wear Boris t-shirts. <laughs> it's, the the heels are, are much bigger issues. Yeah. There's much more. There's much more worrying aspects to the end. Again, I'm only quite hinting at it. <laughs> it's problematic. I'll put up a poll with potentially a couple of very carefully curated screenshots. You Please know say. why. Please um, yeah, yeah, because there's a couple on there where I think when I was brainstorming this on Sunday, Benno, I think of just trying to chuck out loads of ideas to you and you <laughs> wake up to what appears to be just a series of messages. What relates to like, I don't know, a wrestling snuff film or something <laughs> like that. Don't drag me into your mess, JP. Don't get me cancelled as well. Yeah. <laughs> you showed me how to, you showed me how to play the game, mate. You're, oh, a, you're there's blood on your hands as well. <laughs> Very literal in my place. But if there is blood in the hand, we're washing it off and we're telling no fucker about it. That's the place I run. To be fair, I can't talk in my uh, in that BW draft I mentioned before, which I will plug. Yes, uh, we did. Uh, we did on Friday where uh, we did like a you know an equivalent to what the you know the Euro draft used to be on Voices of Wrestling, the uh, the big Euro transfer window where. James, he set up this hilarious scenario where, yeah, after post coronavirus, uh, all of the European wrestlers in the world are free agents and are all back at home. And we uh, we went through and painstakingly drafted a load of guys. And I went through it and drafted a load of people. Hated my roster when I finally got done. And then I ended up booking a David Starr effigy on a pole and Killer Kelly versus Sheamus. So I'm not too many steps away from you, JP. When in doubt, it's amazing how quickly you'll go to the Russo stuff. <laughs> It's a really worrying trait. You're going to vote for me, JP, in the poll. There's a poll. That's what I want to plug on the Well, uh, on I did actually kind of want to go through the card with you because I was just actually bringing it up on here. Is it, oh, okay. It's on post-wrestling at the moment. Is yeah. that right? James, he's running away with it right now on Twitter, on the post-wrestling uh, on post right, Twitter. So. Yeah, this, this card's it, very good. He brought in Kane. He got Rusev in. Like, it wasn't looking like a very Jamesy card at the start, if you see this on Twitter, but, like, it turned into, like... I. I I think he's got to win the thing. Like, if, if I if I wasn't biased and voted myself for myself, because of course I did, I'm going to vote for myself. I probably would have voted for James in fairness. Mate, Osprey Cesaro main event. That's a match. He won me over there. Mm-hmm. One match card. I'm done. Yeah. That's a match I want to see. Did my uh, not? Oh, go on, JP. I'm I'm just having a look because I must confess I've been kind of snowed under with loads of other stuff, including trying to force myself to watch a terrible film, as we'll get on into into <laughs> a bit. So yeah, just want to have a look at these. I want to have a look at these cards on here. Oh yeah, it is, uh, it's here we go. Here's your one. So we're opening with the um, Ben XT UK takeover. The best Liverpool. one from main event down, I reckon. JP, that's the that's the way to read it. 
Walter, Walter Jordan Devlin one hey. more time. Hey. Am I looking at the wrong one? No, that's the right one. No, I agree. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a card. That's a card. One more time. World's titles match. Uh-huh. Not the not the way four way. I like that. David Effigy, David Star Effigy on a pole. That, is that the way you worked him into the card? I did. Um, no, he's not on there. Yeah, good work on that. Uh, Pete Dunn, Trent Seven, Mark Andrews, Dan Maloney. But not the way four away. Come on, give me some points for that. Yeah, no, it worked. I like that. Studio wrestling title, Oldest versus Spud. I like the idea of that. Um, Brexit meets Brexit grudge match. Robinson versus Trevay, special enforcer Will Cooling. <laughs> and I'm not saying which side of the Brexit they're on. I think they're both Brexiteers, to be honest. They're just different types of players. Do you know what? But that's the drama in the match, isn't it? If you're thinking <laughs> of it, is Will Cooling going to be the Linda McMahon of that match? Mm. As, it's, as it's ongoing. And he'll get out of there. And you don't know which way it's going to go, even though you're pretty sure he's going to perhaps slap um, Spike Trevay. He might surprise you. Pure title. I like this Kirby Allmark match. That's good. Scotty Davis, Nathan Martin. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's the second match on the card, isn't it? The second match on the card, which is deliberate, isn't it, Benno? Yes, this is the. Uh, I only and there's not even two woman. women. Yeah. I only signed one woman in my, in my draft, so uh, yeah, Martin Bentley won't be happy. Uh, I signed uh, Killer Kelly, and I didn't know to put it against JP, so I put it in there with Seamus. Like, in the description, I've just put it down as the Ben only signed one woman and for some reason signed Seamus second on the cards grudge match. I'm just being honest. Yeah. And then the opener is just a match where just some ladders probably because I, I signed <laughs> Omari, Carlos Romo, Bobby Guns and Eddie Dennis and didn't really have an idea of what to do with them. Uh, I should right. have. I, if I get another go at this next year, I'm going to rethink this a bit more. There were a lot of good wrestlers left on the table. Uh, I could have signed, uh, you know... Who could they have signed? Could have signed a, a lucky kid, for example. Could have signed Shah Samuels, who I was really annoyed got left on the table. I thought I was... How did no one sign in? I was convinced I was someone would. crying out for him at points. It got to the last five or so, and I was like, I've got no plans for him. But I'm convinced someone will grab him. Like, I was... At a point, I was thinking Grado wasn't going to go. Uh, Rampage Brown. Oh, he did go, didn't he, Rampage Brown? But there were, there were lots of, like... Him. Yeah, there were lots of, like, um, name... Brit Res Wrestlers. We'll talk about it more on BWA last week and, and Euro Wrestlers. It's just, yeah, I think the Coffees, you know, my mate from uh, from Twitter today, Joe Coffee, Mark Coffee, Wolfgang, none of them got signed in an 80 person draft. Um, yeah, I feel bad now, JP. You've run through my cards and uh, I'm kind of forcing uh, <laughs> people to. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to fix the vote, Martin, if you're listening. I'm just saying, you know, that's my card. James's card's we the should, best, though. People we should, should go. We should go through. I won't. I mean, I won't make sure it drags on too long. I'll just have a look at Jamesy's one on here. Um, this is the first time I've kind of gone through these. So Osprey Cesaro, yeah. Mm. Pack Rusev, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Imperial Ring Camp, yeah. Um, the top three matches alone, I'm like sold. Yeah, he's done. Viper, End it now. Viper, Nikki Cross, Haskins, Birch, Jordan breaks Doug Williams. Mm. Um, Chris Brooks, that's Kane, crazy. Session Mosh, M- Martino. Oh, yeah, Mad. he signed uh, Kane. Yeah, that's another thing that... Uh, yeah. He's got the comedy in there. Ridgeway, Ridgeway Jacobs. But there's even piss breaks in there. If I'm at the show, I know where I'm going to have my piss breaks. I know where I'm going to get a drink. Is but, it when Spanish there, legend don't... Kane comes out? Or... Well, oh, that was great. Has Kane wrestled in 2020? I, I don't think he has. No, I mean, that, oh. the, I, I got talked out of doing Bowden, but I think we all allowed it because it was too funny. He had to have Kane. We had to let him have it. 
Uh, All right. Because I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't think he was on that last Saudi show. He was on that one where they did that tragic tag match last year, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that was his last one. I, I think oh. Andy's got a good card as well. Like Andy's got the uh, the the, the graps and clap uh, raffle in there. Paul Martin's being, yeah. being left behind a little bit in the air. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get on But he's doing well. He's doing well. We'll get on to that in a minute. In yeah, looking at, I love this after party, the flying horse. Which, is James is. Admit. I think our love of regional pubs generally dictates that I think we'd all quite like to go to the after party of the Flying Horse, especially if it's Andy running the show, because that'd be a hell of a night. (laughs) Be a savage, savage night on the beer. Um, So he's gone with Tyler Bate, Dragonoff, Gabriel Kidd, Ethan Allen, submission on knockout only. I like that. Mm. Becky Lynch, Kaylee Ray. Mm. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's, yeah, be well up for that. Rampage Brown and Drew McIntyre versus Nathan Cruz and Adam Maxted. It maybe you could use the WWE World Champion better. I don't know. That's just a thought <laughs> on, on, on my head for that. Um, but then it, I can understand how he got to that one on there. I love the uh, raffle one one pound a strip halftime photos with Grado. Good that, work. That could win it for him. That could win it. Yeah. Caranoir Marty Skull could be interesting if he's got Marty. If he's lost the RH booking job. And he needs to impress. Then it's like, all right, you've got to get your 2016, 2017 boots on here, Marty. Valkyrie, Aaliyah, James. Two women's matches in there. Positively progressive by your standards, mate, aren't you? Well, I'm called Regress, you know. NXT UK takeover. Well, by comparison, you know, Andy Ogden and and Andy and Jeff Ogden are like Gloria Steinem and Jermaine Greer compared to you. Um Grado versus Shaquille Sham. Yeah, that would be a good laugh. Will Cruz, Brady, Phillips. I've not seen them. But that's, that's a that's a proper Andy Undergraps match. Robbie X, Ricky Knight Jr. We've seen it. I could happily watch that again. It's got a bit of a PCW feel, this card. Mm, it's very oh, Andy. yeah. Mm, I feel it like is. Fludder's a booking consultant on this one. <laughs> Just like Andy's the reverse for Flutter. Uh, keep it that, though. Yeah. <laughs> He'd have Drew McIntyre in there as well at half time for that. Oh. The Rumble in Rochdale. Um, and then the last one, we've got uh, the Brigad- uh, Steel City Showdown. It, from the Brigadier the himself. Ob- obvious name from the Brigadier himself. Mike Bird's Alex Michaels, who I don't know. Alec Michaels. I know that's what that was um, someone who was doing a lot of Southside, wasn't it? That was who Martin was saying. He was like the homegrown guy. He's from Sheffield. Uh, Millie McKenzie, Jody Fleisch versus Senza Volta and Callum Newman. That could be good fun. Mm. Millie McKenzie, Jody Fleisch makes me laugh. You're going to do an intergender tag team. Yeah, do something like that. Big John's go. Big, big, big John's go. <laughs> that's a Freudian slip, isn't it? Um, big, jo- big, really did it again. <laughs> big Guns Joe versus Matt Brooks. Good comedy match. Tab, I've not had in a long time, though, when you be using JP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Killian Dane, uh, Lucas Steele in a big lads match. I was surprised more people didn't pick up on Lucas Steele. I mean, I had him on my short list, I've got to be honest. He seems like a clean living fella, so he's going near with nowhere near problematic pro wrestling. Um, a kid, Sean Guinness, that could be really good fun. Tegan Knox, Jamie Hayter, Finn Balor, Michael Oku, Alistair Black, Zach Gibson, and Zach Sabre Jr., Jack Gallagher. I like the top three. I have to say, um, I'm going to have to kind of go with, in terms of star power as well, 
I hate to say it, Ben, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go with Jamesy on this one. Yeah, I think I think if I was neutral, I'd be voting for Jamesy. I think Martin's unfortunate. Like it's a, he shouldn't be as far behind as he is in the polls. So if you like that, that Sheffield card, do vote for Martin as well. And these cards, great. And these and these right on my heels because I'm just about in second right now. But it's no, it's it's obvious why why Jamesy's running away with it. He's the real bucket mind out of BWE. Um, Mate, Osprey Cesaro, just it. that match. That's and I mean. That's the one. Yeah, so yeah, if people feel that way, go to the Post Wrestling uh, Twitter and uh, cast your vote. They'll, by the time this comes out, you'll still have a few hours left to do it, so uh, do get your votes in. Um, it, it seemed quite pressurised mm, doing it, it at the time. Yeah, we're going to do like a, um, a decompression next week on it, because I think we were, when we do our mm-hmm. next podcast, but we were all kind of just like, afterwards with well, our mind, it was more pressure than we ever expected. When it come round to your, your point and all the wrestlers that you wanted were gone. It was tough. It really was. It was. It was much more work than I, I expected it to be. And I've done drafts before. We've been made sort of done TW games and EWR games. Uh, but there was something about this one. Yeah, the com- just the competition was fierce. JP, that's all it was. It really was, especially for those kind of big top line stars that you want to go in. Also, not trying to miss out on the important sort of mid and upper mid card people as well. But mm. that, I was thinking though as well, rather like the G one and the Pickham's contest for that. Imagine if you lads had four grand on the line, say, based on a Twitter poll for this. You'd be watching it every day of the week, but every moment of the day, Benno, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't want to give it away too much. I'll save it for the next BW, but I think we do have a prize for our winner um, that we've been talking about in the DMs today, but we'll reveal that uh, as time comes. Not four grand, then? <laughs> not not money. Definitely not money. No, there's not much of that going around. But again, you know, <laughs> That's get your true, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Taboo was on, JP, and we, we, we mentioned it before. Um you getting blocked this weekend by uh, by our mate James Smallman? Like, tell you what, Joe, what's it come to for someone to block JP on, on social media? Unbelievable behaviour. Found myself blocked as well. Uh, I don't know if it, should I say link to that or should I just say in general? Also, this weekend, <laughs> there's been quite a bit of news, hasn't there, about uh, our old favourite subject, Progress Wrestling. Our our good friend uh, Will Cooling put a I think a really good, uh, really well-written column up on the uh, the PW Torch website. Will Cooling is an actual journalist and not a blogger, as he's been described by by some of the wrestling <laughs> comedi- the community today. Uh, did I some... thought he wrote for the dirt sheets, mate. I apparently that's what he does, did. yeah. Apparently, that this is just fans trying to cause trouble on Twitter, JP. That's all it is. Uh, no, we, we this was it actually happened did it during my stupid TW stream on uh, on Twitch. Um, I won't say who, but somebody who's a listener uh, broke the news that uh, it looked like Jim Smallman had received eighty thousand pounds to uh, to lead progress, essentially to buy back his his forty five uh, shares that he's got in pro- in progress. Uh, and Will, being Will, did a bit more digging, and my God, did he find some information? Uh, it is mm-hmm. it is very very interesting reading. Um, Apparently, like I, I, my mind was blown by this, like re, re, reading it for the first time. This is again publicly available information on Company House. We believe it got updated last month because we had a conversation like this last year, didn't we, about progress where Company House had been updated. Yeah. And we were talking about the end of the financial funny. year stuff. Yeah, it that's it. That's it. Yeah, and so yeah, he dug through the numbers, and yeah, uh, it, it came out of the wash that this uh, this past tax year, so twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen. The three mates, which still included Smallman at that point, paid themselves in dividends, and this is this is after this is they've made their profits, they've paid off whatever whatever they needs to pay off, whether it be wages, whether it be other expenses, and even after that, 
They've got 40k. This this is the shocking bit for me. They've got 40k stuck in the bank. Yeah, just sat in the bank for the company. And they drew out 273,000 pounds between the three of them. Briley being the... the uh, get, we'll get a much bigger percentage of that compared to the uh, the other two. Uh, and paid it themselves as dividends. Like... I could not build like last year we talked about it, it was hundred and fifty five thousand pounds that they, they pulled out of the business and I was shocked then. The year before I think Will Will said it was a hundred thousand in profits that they that they made. So that would be just before so that would be the Brixton year. And even like the, the year before that I think they made twenty five thousand in profits that like if I was if you just told me progress pulled twenty five thousand pounds out of the business last year, I'd be bloody hell, they're doing well for Brit Res. Like for them to pull, for them to be able to leave forty thousand in the bank based on these figures that are available on Company House, and also split two hundred seventy three thousand between them as, as a dividend payment, which you know it doesn't look like they're salaried separately with Progress, but we don't know that for certain because I don't think any of them are willing to go on the record with a, with our will. Um, but the fact that that yeah that much money is available for a British wrestling company that is fucking. You know, there are, there are issues that that raises that, that Will mentions in his column, but that's fucking impressive for a British company. I didn't think it would be anyway. Yeah. yeah. I felt almost bad that the one of the first takeaways, and there's a few different takeaways from it, and there's also elements of this story that I won't like. It kind of makes me feel uncomfortable that I know them, that right. I know aspects of it. And that's just probably from the point of at what point does it feel kind of prurient in the sense, I suppose, especially in the sense of kind of selling shares. But to see a British wrestling company profitable to that amount of money is genuinely impressive. And it kind of, there's a couple of thoughts on it. One, if NXT UK and the WWE stuff happens, does the boom continue? How much longer does it continue for? What kind of, you know, where, what, what would have been the upper tier for it? Because that, mm. that would obviously be as much as perhaps the company would ever do. So in that sense, it's impressive as an organization that they've mm. managed to do that. And that's through running those kind of big shows and throwing themselves into it. Um, and that's like, I was thinking about, I was just going, that's, that's incredible because there'd be no other British company. ICW at its peak wouldn't have been doing oh. that kind of, on company Figures house, not to interrupt JP, but on company house, mm. there, like, I think seven, I think the 017k to Mark Dallas. There's more on that. They like, I don't think Will's finished his, his digging on that, but like, yeah. yeah, you know, there's no other company like it. Like, I had a little look around again, publicly available information. You might feel dirty looking at it, but I get that. Mm. But it is publicly available information. RevPro's, you know, finances are nowhere near in that stratosphere. Whether that's mm. because they pay, you know, Andy Quilden has more full time employees, or maybe it's just because. You know, the difference between RevPro and Progress is more pronounced than even we thought. I don't know. But, like, they're on an island here, Progress. Like, there's no other company that's near it in the UK. I'm kind of really intrigued by... Uh, this all coming out, and I, and I don't... It's a really funny one, because obviously there's several things on it, which is, this is still their full-time... This is still the main source of their income isn't it allegedly is david Starr tweeted that really? tonight. yeah david Starr. yeah literally while we're recording apparently um i don't know where he's got this information i don't think he's gone on record where he's got it uh but he was saying that the the, the progress owners aren't getting their primary income is the way you put it isn't nxt uk i don't know whether that's a new development or whether that, whether that would have been the case in 2019 when they paid themselves 
these dividends, but apparently, yeah, progress is their main so aim still. the WWE can just get them to move all of their dates and to mess their core fan base around and change things around when they're not paying them the same wage and are possibly underpaying them and undervaluing what they're, they're doing. Like, possibly on consultancy basis for various reasons. I mean, there's been rumours, hasn't there, before? You know, we'll, mm-hmm. there's a lot of factual stuff here we'll mention, but like rumour of, you know, progress getting paid a certain amount per show by by WWE. Maybe money comes in that way. That's it's... just me speculating aside from, you know, the stuff we know. But I was going to say, and, and you know, in terms of there being kind of another kind of coup, two other takeaways from it other than the fact that obviously it's, it's incredibly successful one what how and this is the kind of bigger one is about how much is the talent being paid for it yeah and whether or not the success of the company has has that been filtered down in a kind of like in the percentage way of like we've made 17 percent extra in profits so we're gonna make sure that we do the same thing amount with with salary as well mm. and then there's possibly the one thing about it that and that's a whole other issue and i also think that gets more complex because that gets into how much a wrestler's asking for mm. how much are they taking kind of pride in themselves mm. whether or not i can imagine progress might have been paying them slightly more than the go well would have been paying them the the going rate and not less than that i don't think they're a kind of for exposure company in that way no i'd be surprised that's a story I, I, you hear, though, isn't it? You hear, like, Paul Robinson was jumping. He, mm. To be honest, we had a really nice conversation, me and Rob on Twitter, completely disagreeing with each other. He, his point of view was progress of taking care of me, so I'm going to defend them. And he actually threw a little barb in there that we should never compare them to Rev Pro, because I think he, he... He wouldn't go into detail, but he thinks he's been treated badly by Rev Pro. There is that side of it. You they do stopped arrest- booking him in 2014, because he no-showed... Oh, I can't remember what show it was. He no-showed... After he, or was it 2015? It was after he turned heel in progress and went and did the whole regression thing with Havoc. He no showed um, a show where it was him and Osprey as the Swords of Essex. And I think they had to throw Jake McCluskey in there. I think it was a match against Two Unlimited, if I remember rightly. And then I think Quilden stopped booking him after that point because he was. He was pissed off at him no yeah. showing. So I think there's a you know there's obviously an issue there, but like yeah, he was he was bringing it up basically to say you know they've taken care of me, and you know even David Starr who's been vocal about this today is like progress of taking care of me. But the thing Will pointed mm. out in his article, and I can say for the people who don't believe it, I know for a fact Will has double sourced this information. Will you know he's spoken to people who've um, worked for Progress who've been paid as little as fifty pounds. Callum Leslie was uh, on a soapbox of the Progress fan group today, proudly boasting he's been paid a hundred pound a show to work for progress and he's Fucking not hell, a wrestler that's a i know traveling down from scotland <laughs> i know um, nothing. i know but it's a lot for a, it's a lot for a callum leslie though of course um but yeah i mean i was also you know i know will spoke to people who've done media for progress and i think people in the media people who've done design who've designed t-shirts for progress i've seen a few of them pop up on twitter today kind of saying yeah you know the, the going rate for progress was like 25 pound to make a t-shirt and it does make it hard to, to swallow doesn't it like if you're someone like that if you're a if you're a wrestler like david Starr, you know you're kind of going hang on they're making how much money and we're getting paid what i kind of hope like you know this information shouldn't have been secret because it, it's publicly available information but i kind of hope at least you know will will shine a light on it means you know, wrestlers, maybe aside from Paul Robinson, he doesn't seem to think in that way, will step to, to a progress and kind of go, 
I'm going, lad, you made a lot of profit over these last few years. Maybe this year is different, and mm. we should get into why it's different. We've got a, a bit of an inside source on that. Um, but yeah, you know, it kind of it kind of says that maybe these last few years wrestlers have been under, wrestlers and media people, and maybe even Callum Leslie himself have been undercharging progress for the services. I think with uh, Paul Robinson as well, though, he's got it's not his one source of income, is it? He does it on the side. He's not a full time professional wrestler. So yeah. I imagine, you know, in terms of it being his living, he's kind of all right and probably kind of healthy. Um, and he's been there a long time. I get where he's coming from. I get his mm. point of view. I quite enjoyed reading through his Twitter conversation with you earlier, Benno. Mm. I thought you both made some valid points and you kind of agreed to disagree, but yeah. it was very unlike it in quite Twitter, a respectful way. It was quite nice. Yeah, um, yeah. I've always got I've got time for Paul Robinson. Like I don't even before this this conversation today, like I, I don't agree with most things he comes out with, but I kind of appreciate that he's willing to, even if he's me, you know, I might think personally he can come off, off naive. I appreciate that he's open and he's willing to have those conversations. And he might think he I'm did. naive as a fan, you know, thinking these things are all progress. So I appreciate that he's willing to, to have that he, chat. He did once say on Twitter, and me and him when I had Twitter years ago in a conversation, that teachers are underpaid and not appreciated for the hard work they do and shouldn't oh. get the criticism for the length of the holidays they get. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a refreshing point of view. Cheers, mate. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I think one of the things that I sort of took from this and some cracking work from Will Cooley oh, yeah. as well, but what I sort of took from it was if there are wrestlers who are majorly underpaid, that is kind of bad. And I don't want wrestlers to be underpaid and I want them to be paid, you know, what they are kind of worthy of earning, especially if they're working full time in the industry, because you don't want people to, I don't know, starve and and you don't want them to ha not have dinner on their table, to use a WWE expression. You want them, you know, dinner to be on their table each night. You don't want that to be taken away from them. But one of the things that I sort of took from this was at the same time, look at the position that the three mates are in and basically they did build this company and I don't like the direction that it went in and I don't like the NXT UK stuff but in terms of the stars of the company who in progress now is a star not really anyone like it's not david Starr's main promotion paul robinson's not a star on the level of say what an osprey was what jimmy avoc was what a marty was there back in the day mm. the three stars of the promotion are the three mates yeah they are the promotion when you think about well the two mates well yeah but when you think about tiers and levels of stars and how who should be paid what in what company so let's say you think about ufc for example and a couple of years ago you would say it should have been mcgregor rousey and then below that sort of your john jones your cormier anderson silver if he was still doing the odd show as well here and there right and then your sort of Danas and your Lorenzo and your frankfurt Eaters are in there as well with what their earnings are for the year in there right for me, the three mates are progress. They are the three kind of stars, and they're the three people that the fans revert to more than anyone when they talk about progress. Jim Smallman is the star of progress as the front man. And, yeah, that's kind of sad when you think about it, that the main star is the guy who's essentially the MC of the promotion, gone. if anything. But I, in a way, I sort of think... 
Well, I suppose they kind of built the brand. And what Progress got uh, kind of built itself and was its branding mm. and what it kind of presented itself as. I don't think it was a star-based promotion at all. Yeah, there were stars that were built there mm. and there were guys that were built there and there were people who really improved while they were in progress. And yeah, there was one particularly great storyline that engaged a lot of people. But ultimately, this brand was built by the three mates. And as much as I don't like the way they've taken it in, I can sort of get it from their point of view. And I sort of think to myself, they are allowed to make money if they want to with this thing that they've built. And they've been kind of savvy. And as much as I might not have done this in this position, and from a selfish perspective, would I have liked to have seen all of this money pumped into you know a flourishing british wrestling scene where there's no wwe involvement absolutely on a selfish level but on a selfish level from their point of view as well do they think okay we've built this there's a kind of exit point here on jim smallman's part i've got a family i can't see british wrestling going any further at this point i can only see it going on the downswing do i cash out now take the money pay off part of my mortgage and kind of live quite a healthy life and I've got a new kid on the way and I sort of get that on a sort of human level Hmm. and I do wonder if maybe we're being a bit harsh to some extent and you know I'm the guy who's going to bash progress (laughs) over and over again but on this kind of human level I think yeah talent should be paid how they should be paid they shouldn't be underpaid they shouldn't be starving but at the same time if they're not starving you are paying your talents properly and you can go and i don't know live a healthy life from what you've built here fair enough the problem i have with this is this information being out there and then them asking for donations yes that is morally wrong and takes the piss and kind of I don't know. There's a sort of negligence there, isn't there, when this information is out there, especially during a global pandemic when you're asking for those donations. But yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I'm not as I'm not sort of wound up by by it, if I'm honest. I think it's the it's the um, it's the amount of money. I think it's the it's it being basically over three years. It's five hundred thousand pounds they've been able to take out and give to themselves. I've seen the defence of you know they live in London, so. Life and mortgages is expensive. I think it's that. Because even, to be honest, like, to your point, Joe, I almost think, and I don't know if you agree, uh, JP, like, Smallman getting £80,000 for his, is it 45 uh, shares? That, that, that is the the amount that yeah. he's got. Um, I think um, Bradley's on a little over a hundred. Like, he getting £80,000 for that almost seems low. You know, I know he hasn't got quite as much of the the promotion as as Briley does, and he's got he had a little bit, he had a little bit more than uh, than Joseph. Like I honestly, part of me is like, you know what, for eighty thousand to, to walk away, I'm gonna pay eighty thousand pounds for it. If they're paying themselves this much each year, it kind of makes me question: Was small, did Smallman see the writing on the wall? Did he see this year as a very yeah, different way of so. progress? Were they, were they all trying to get? A, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me is like, were they all thinking when they, when they took this money, they were thinking of all getting out anyway, and this was like the last big progress year. So let's let's take it. Um, I don't know. I don't, oh, there's a few factors there. I'm definitely sympathetic to what you're saying, Joe, and I kind of 
I do see that, that that it's their company, so you know it's it, it's theirs to make the money with to 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 to, to take the, the money if they if they see it right, and especially if it's in lieu of a salary. I do think you know we don't know that we don't know if they're, they're separately paid for their their jobs within progress. That information isn't public, and they like, weren't telling like you've well. got a responsibility to your employers. Sorry, to your employees as well, obviously. Yeah. And you shouldn't be underpaying those employees and you should be treating those employees fairly, obviously. But at the same time, with them putting in the hard hard work, I I get it. I sort of get it. Yeah. How about you, JP? Where are you you on this one? Because I know you had a slightly different take than maybe what was the the populist take. There was a lot on Twitter of like, Uh, pay the workers. The The workers are being exploited, which... I think I'm I'm maybe a bit more not entirely in agreement with, but a bit more on the side of than you. I do think they should have been playing the wrestlers better, but again, that's kind of to the wrestlers to. Well, can I just make one more point? I did find it interesting that the money that was there, that was at the disposal, they used to buy Jim's shares, so that they had more shares to share between them. The two of them as well. Matt Richards didn't get any shares. He's he's probably getting paid about twenty k a year to do Smallman's entire job. I I don't know that for certain, by the way. I found that really interesting mm. because that money could have gone somewhere else. It's almost like Jim was getting like his like retirement send off package. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. By 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 going off, here's your money to go off with. Like I did, I did find it interesting that that's how they chose to spend money that was there mm. that could have gone elsewhere, if anything. And they they chose to keep the shares in house mm. rather than I don't know try and sell them elsewhere. I found that interesting. Yeah. Sorry, JP. Yeah, go ahead, JP. No, it's it's all it's. There's lots of moving parts on it. When it comes to the donation side of it, that's not something that I'm that I like at all. Particularly because you set up these companies, so you have limited liability and you don't have personal liability. So the idea of asking donations to towards that is something that I I yeah, like you guys, it's something I really didn't like about it. I've often thought part of the problem will be the entire mentality that surrounds around wrestling itself, which is you're lucky to be on the card. You take what you're given. You don't complain and you protect the business. Those kind of things on that has meant that I think a lot of wrestlers have historically been told, don't overvalue yourself. You, the, you need to be adaptable to the rates for other people. And so they wouldn't think to ask of stuff, even though there's 700 people and you probably get to the point of, I get to perform in front of this stage and it's very popular and there are people from around the world watching it mm. and I can really do something here. So perhaps won't be asking for those salary increases. Whereas it's the problem that at times there's possibly like a maximum wage, but there is no minimum wage. Minimum wage can be absolutely nothing. And it's, and that's the problem is, is that wrestling doesn't have a minimum wage and they're happy to, to do things that way. And they could have made those changes towards it. I also feel as well, in terms of when it comes to the money, there's the part of me goes, it's got fuck all to do with me, necessarily what they do with that money and and about it. And it's I suppose I'm one of those people where I feel uncomfortable asking people I don't, knowing about people I don't know what their finances are without them having offered it up to me first as part of a conversation. Ah, it's like football, isn't it? You know what the Arsenal players are yeah, exactly. But then they're properly regulated industries with a union that's helping them kind of deal with that. And that's part of the John Oliver piece as well about unions in sports where they're going for footballers. And you've seen it happen with Dresden this weekend where a couple of players had coronavirus straight away. 
the idea that this could all be sort of stopped can't you've got a football union that can have that obviously in wrestling you don't have that at all as well i i feel ultimately it's like a kind of there's an idea of what brit rest could do and i think if there's something from this i think the workers themselves rather than and i'll say this publicly complain about the article on twitter then privately dm will cooling saying hey, this is really shocking and this is really awful why not like speak to each other about the kind of rates that you're going to get and this again leads to the idea of unionization where you have got that kind of minimum rate mm. for it as well and that's a bigger industry-wide thing and that goes out of progress for it mm. it's the fact that we kind of know them the idea that this kind of information could be available publicly if we're going to be honest if we're going to look at ott how would those how would that business be split up between that if we start yeah and to be honest i imagine this is very much much more on the up and up side of things as well because they've done things during this pandemic that have been good in terms of the mental health provisions that they offered for the workers and stuff like that as well and that's more than what wrestling companies do but by real world standards that we all stand by, this seems awful. Mm. It's like having a small business, not up in the wages of people, or doing it incrementally while buying yourself a house in fucking Greece on the side. Now, it's not exactly <laughs> the same as that, but there yeah. is an idea of like, oh, okay, you, you've got this new car. Can I have an extra five quid an hour, please? Is that all right? Is that too much? Does that sound <laughs> yeah, bad? Yeah, no, yeah. I feel like a... I'm being an arsehole about this because genuinely, if they're able to pay their mortgages off by the age they are, and pretty much apart from Jim, they're all old, all uh, younger than me. Good luck to them. I'm jealous of you on that front, mm. but it's not something I carry any spite over. And that's the point I make about him being the star of the promotion, like should he have been paid the most the brand was always the draw like i don't know people who were going to progress because they went fucking hell they put this guy that doesn't happen a lot with progress. combination perhaps of all of those yeah, I, I, sometimes, yeah. I think i honestly think it's primarily the brand and how hot the brand is and how hot the stories mm. are in the brand at the time rev pro on the other hand i think is a star driven business yeah. you look at york hall it's all, the, the dream factory stuff it's what matches are on the marquee and who have they got in? Mm. And if you've got... Look at Pack versus Oku. It drew like six, 700, right? And then you look at uh, Osprey Pack, or you look at Osprey Zach, and you look with that draw. That's that's star-driven. Mm. Whereas you think about how many sellouts, progress, or do at the ballroom for t- over time. You even look at Wembley. Like, tell me that Wembley was, was the stars on the show. I think it was the brand. I think it was the occasion and the way they... to be there for a big progress moment type of thing. Yeah. 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 And it was the way they promoted it around the brand, if anything. And it was seeing Jim do his big thing in the ring when you hear the bloody Star Wars music at Wembley and him saying, hello, Wembley, and all the rest of it. That's what a lot of that fan base would have bought into rather than going... Fucking hell, I can go see Walter at Wembley. (laughs) Whereas, let's be honest, in 1992, I think people were going, fucking hell, the British Bulldog, Bret Hart, main event. Yes, please. The Ultimate Warrior versus uh, uh, Randy Savage on the undercard. Fucking right. You know, and it was partly the brand as well. But I think think we underestimate 
how much progress is is brand driven and I'm um, if it's small one. like yeah you, you, you make a great point about that because i think again my biggest takeaway was i think small one got underpaid and i know you know it's not just me that's uh that shared mm. that opinion um do you think there's like a logic to that then do you think because one thing uh somebody who we know who's got uh who had and uh, was looking to get i think he was looking to get a progress their season ticket this year who will run out nameless was was telling us about like the diff like a, a big difference would be Last year, when these numbers exist, when they're making this big money, every year at the start of the year, they, they were selling, you know, season tickets where £350 was the cheapest season ticket you get. And, you know, you're talking, how many of those would they sell? Like, at least 100? Like, more? Like, a few hundreds? Like, like, you know, I think the, a few hundred. You're talking... Ah, it's peak, yeah. You're talking tens of thousands of pounds. That's a lot of money. This year, though, look at progress as they are now. Progress of, they didn't do the season tickets this year, Small men left and, and, and cashed out. They just did this weird, um, you know, this this kind of pay-as-you-go season ticket, like, based on the shows they might or might not do. So they had none of that money at the start of the year, so they haven't got that in their, in their pandemic coffers. Uh, in general, I think that, you know, the attendances were down going into this point in the year, you know, going into the point in the year where uh, the pandemic kind of hit and, you know, towards the end of last year. So, you know, maybe we can read into it that merchandise was probably down. Maybe Patreon, Patreon? That's uh, not Vimeo, is it? What is it? Uh, yeah. of by existence there. Uh, Pivotcher. Pivotcher, that's it. I hate it so much I can't even say the name. Like, part of me thinks that, like, you know, you know in, their, in their pomp, I reckon they would do the abroad ultras, and the further afield ultras that we didn't see at the live shows, I bet you the fucking hundreds of them, probably well more than even we thought, were buying that merchandise and were buying the, you know, the VOD, buying the subscription service. I wonder how many of them are left. I wonder when we come, and it's unfortunately going to be in a year's time before we see this year's, or you know, a bit of this year's figures based on you know the last tax year. Um, I wonder where they are now. I wonder whether maybe that, you know, can you... I don't. I didn't expect us to be the you know the defenders of uh, of the two mates plus uh, plus our yeah. genuine mate Matt this 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 week. But you know, is that a reason why maybe they've come capping onto fans and have you know been begging a bit about merchandise stuff? Maybe you know that the lesson is don't take four hundred thousand pounds worth of money out of your promotion over the last two years and five hundred over the last three years. Then maybe you wouldn't have to do that or you know have to in in quotes maybe 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 that explains a little bit maybe maybe the situation is completely different this year um based on a lot of those factors i think it, it probably is i don't know about you guys whether you uh share that thought well we do we know what their operating income is for this year no yeah so i don't know it's a it's a tough one isn't it but mm. i don't think they should be doing the donations thing i think it's a really bad look especially yeah. like i say when this information is out there and there's a value sort of based around the company as well. And also, like, to my knowledge, aren't at this point, like, they don't they have, like, three full-time employees and Briley, Matt Richards, and uh, Glenn. Like, who are their other full-time employees? Like, I know Rev Pro has Andy Quilden. I don't know if Zoe Lucas is still an employee there. I know probably Dan a couple of people. Social media guide. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know whether it'll be full-time. The VOD people stuff. Be, yeah, the VOD right. stuff for that. Um yeah, and what full the time is on VOD. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't oh no, no, full not not full time. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 it's hard to say when you don't, you know, there's not transparency around how many people they're employing and paying on on the reg. I suppose. How mm. much did the academy group charge for use of the venues? Has that gone up over the years? And they're, they're, you know, the, 
there are a whole other load of factors. And I always think with the, the issue with wrestling is, is it's always had very low margins. Mm. So like yeah. the idea of making profit from independent wrestling is something that you're kind of not even really looking to do. Mm. I mean, one of the things we're doing, we're covering 97 and we're going to go into ECW. And that was a company that never hit profit. And it spoke about in these reverential terms in terms of the influence and the effect on it. It never ran out of profit. It was it was like mm-hmm. always hand to mouth. They would get in pay-per-view money and they would sort of carry on from that. This, in fairness, in the scheme of wrestling, and it seems, again, like we are pretty much being like, I know it sounds really strange. I think we're all very much like, well done. That's an impressive <laughs> thing to do from a business perspective. Regardless, <laughs> could they do stuff with different money? Do you know what? It's easy for all of us to say that without having been faced with the fucking situation. Yeah, no, I think you're very right. easy for that. And I and I kind of look at this and you think they have run whatever complaints we've ever had, a very well run promotion that is profitable and has maintained a lot of its fan base. Now, I kind of think as well that. You know, if you're going to kind of hypothesize on why people think of reasons, you'd like to think the idea of the wrestling wrestling being cyclical, um, which is a thing that it it is kind of very faddish in the sense that it appears and then it can kind of disappear from popular culture at points at that. And maybe independent wrestling in Britain, it it kind of they'd slightly seen that it's getting too troublesome a landscape to be able to book stuff that's going to really appeal to people and keep them invested in the ways that they once were. Mm. Um and it's so there, there is a lot going on with a story like this. Yeah, I, would, I, I don't think those things could necessarily be, you know, I think that they're, they're the things you need to kind of take into consideration. Yeah, I wouldn't call us the defenders of progress. Of no, this I don't think anyone would. Say, you know, <laughs> in jest, this is a this is a rational discussion around well, reasonable you know, people the, around a news article. Yeah, and around the from someone you know, we know goes out and sources this stuff and has a lawyer check over it beforehand. Yeah, before, and, some, before, before Noel Clark starts going on about the fucking dirt sheet stuff. Oh, he's going to come up later when we talk about Cage Fire. Is Noel Clark? Don't you worry. <laughs> but I, I think like Will's done some cracking work there. Yes. Um, but when I I did have a little look at Twitter today, you, you see a lot of outrage, and I sort of get it. I get the reaction. And I get why people react when they see those facts. It's kind of like, fucking hell, you don't necessarily expect that in British wrestling, I suppose. In wrestling, I get the kind of, I get the kind of shock. I do get it. But it's just trying to take a step back and thinking about it on that more sort of like human and personal level. And I get on one level and a human level, you might think, oh, there are guys underpaid. Yeah, you've got to think about we that. Need, we need more information about about that i think there needs to be more of a story and there needs to be people yeah. actually saying i am underpaid this is this is the record here is what i'm paid this is how i'm treated you know and to, for me you're not getting that I with wrestlers though are you like you, exactly and there lies in the problem yeah yeah there lies in the problem and then you know it wouldn't be within i suppose progress interest for there to be a union in wrestling possibly because it might make things like this harder and if there was a union in wrestling and you know jim got 50,000 or 40,000 rather than 80,000, fine, because it might mean that some of the workers are better off as well. This is quite a complex and nuanced situation. Yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's not black and white at all. None of us are in the situation. I think JP made a great point about the car and all the rest of it. Mm. It's the kind of thing that I don't like is when people rub, someone's, rub, rub people's face in it and they do take the piss genuinely when it comes to this sort of stuff. But what I'll also say is... When you look at this as well, it doesn't look like there's anything really 
what I would describe as dodgy around like around like tax loopholes or where the company's based or anything like that. It's not Flutherin Council of Drugale, is it? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not in Jersey, is it? Or the island. Exactly. Or the Cayman Islands. That's yeah, I was gonna say the Cayman Islands. Or Bermuda or somewhere. Yeah. Like if there were all these kind of tax loopholes around the company as well, that's where I start going, right, what the fuck are these shady fuckers doing? That's when I'd start getting like angry and start getting annoyed because that is just flagrantly taking the piss to kind of like, I don't know, buy an extra yacht. Uh, whereas, I don't know, buying a three bed semi-detached in Wales and paying a decent amount of the mortgage, ugh, I can't begrudge that. Fair play. I think for me, I'm just glad the information's out there. Like, I'm glad Will's put it out there. And I hope that for those wrestlers who maybe I'm more on the side of, I do think progress. I think we all agree progress should do the right thing. Maybe I feel it. You know, that, that I was watched that my... on the weekend. Fucking great film. <laughs> um, what was that? Which film? Do the right thing. Oh, it's a great film. Yeah, yeah still hands up today. Uh, but I, I think is I, that I, based on Last Dance, I assume? <laughs> is that why you watched it? I, I started watching Last Dance. I mean, I did watch Do the Right Thing that evening after I watched two episodes. I don't know if it was directly connected. I had been thinking, because I had an Abel Ferrara run, and I was like, I'm going to do a New York director's run here. I'm going to go on to more Spike Lee films next. Start with watching Do the Right Thing again. Then went on to Jungle Fever the next night, which i got to say, underrated. Uh, doesn't get yeah. a lot of talk. Snipes is awesome in it. Uh, not a massive amount of com- uh, sorry, chemistry of Annabelle Ciora, as in, you remember her, Benno Gloria Trillo from oh, uh, yeah. Sopranos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but there's some great sto- there's some great uh, narrative strands in there. Samuel L. Jackson is fucking amazing in there as well. I mean, there are some great shots in there. I, I love Wesley Snipes. I can watch him in anything. He's, He's a brother who's on crack, isn't he, Samuel L. Jackson? He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember the bit where they go to the crack den, and that really shocked me. Oh, yeah, that... That bit shot me, JP, in about 30 years after it was filmed. Halle Berry is his crack addict girlfriend. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, harrowing stuff. Seeing, like, interracial relationships represented in a way that I'd never even sort of, like, considered them <laughs> because it just doesn't occur to me, I suppose. But, yeah, fucking great film. So, sorry, Benno, back to uh, progress. <laughs> I don't know what we got there. No, it's all right. To be honest, I was only going to throw to, like, from us being responsible and reasonably looking at the issue i wanted to do just some needless speculation about nxt uk because that was another thing this uh, weekend, wasn't it like i feel i just feel like there's a mood in the air like travis banks is talking about a big a big um a, a, a big <laughs> big news story coming this next weekend talking about potentially um breaking something next i think it's saturday he's saying which would tie in with what might be if the if the rumors are true a lot of uh nxt uk wrestlers did re-up with their two-year contracts at the second uk championship tournament which if you uh if you remember and we all do that fantastic second tournament it was in uh in june of 2018 so that would that would tie in i don't know is it me just being a conspiracy theorist on this one jp like joe coffee doing some weird tweets joe connor's doing some weird introspective tweets like it just yeah. feels like there's an atmosphere like i don't know hey, um, people are awesome. Asking about meal deals, I mean, it's... <laughs> that was the other ref, wasn't it? Uh, asking was where you could get the best three pound meal deal. That's not a good sign. Like, I love no the three pound meal deal. No way they're letting coffee go. No way they're letting coffee go. No, but I mean, maybe you know, 
talking about maybe his friends losing contracts, that type of thing. Uh, okay. If contracts well, are friend, up, though, friend, friend of the show, Joe oh, Coffey. Oh mate, oh yeah, we uh, we went back and forth on Twitter a bit today. I don't uh, think he knows. How is the regulator, by the way? <laughs> I don't think he knows on that podcaster who who, uh, who maybe has quite a go at him a lot and didn't even draft him. In, in 80 uh, people on the on BWE, but we did have a nice little chat about 1998 WCW. He's a big fan of the Wolfpack, so, you know, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Big, I, big fan of Taker, isn't he? Big <laughs> fan of Taker. I, I do think, big fan of Shawn Michaels, I'd imagine, as well, because I think it's Shawn Michaels who wants to fucking push him. Uh, but I do want, you know, if... Again, this is maybe the needless speculation part of the story. Like, it's kind of related to progress. You know, if that if David Starr's mm. tweet is to be believed and that and NXT and progress is their main income, does that mean, you know, there's been a change recently? If you're a if the Travis Bank story, and we'll know next week, does turn out to be that he's leaving NXT UK, and I would applaud him on that because it's been a, an uneventful two years to say the least for Travis Banks are there more contracts that are going to be coming due and if they are if, if you're an NXT UK guy if you're a nameless bearded dude from Scotland on the NXT UK roster that Vince McMahon doesn't even know your first name you, obviously they're not going to save a lot of money letting these dudes go but I'd be fucking worried I don't know it just feels like there's an atmosphere mm. uh, again maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm reading too much into Twitter drama though yeah. It's the silence, and that's the thing with it, and it's the way the wrestling industry is run. Rather than it being like an organisation has to make public statements, which basically says, "No, we're not thinking of restructuring NXT UK and doing something about it," but they never do that. Mm. Like so, and nature pulls a vacuum, and mm. there's no information, and therefore that's how you end up with the speculation. Mm. Um, I was thinking in terms of Travis Branks, wouldn't it be funny if they ended up debuting him on Double or Nothing like Jericho debuted against The Rock? Oh, just that is next of... Saturday, isn't it? <laughs> it's next Saturday. I thought, I thought that would be... Obviously, that's not, hap- uh, not happening, and I say it in jest. <laughs> that would be a... I, trust me, if you're an NXT uh, wrestler, then at that point you're thinking, fucking hell, go over here. They're pushing me to the moon. <laughs> the big, big have, him, have him come and attack Jericho after the stadium <laughs> stampede match or something. Um, yeah. But it does feel like something's in the air. And it just feels like, because as this goes on, I don't see, regardless of profits, they're going to look to make another round of cuts because they're not going to have the Saudi money and stuff on the next conference call. Mm. This seems like the logical thing that they would cut. Mm. And ultimately, what, like, and we've spoken about this so many times, they'll have lost money on it. Mm. Won't they? Yeah. And fundamentally, you know, it will go down as a as a failure. The time they came in, they signed uh, all this wrestling. Successfully and they... ran ITV World of Sports out of town, though, JP. You know, they successfully held, didn't kill an industry, maybe in the in the UK, but held it down very well. Um, kept yeah, it at a certain but, level. But wearing a coat made of shit <laughs> and then laughing at someone who's collapsed on the ground because their coat of shit is also rubbish as well doesn't make your situation better. Coat of shit's I'm the not... title, no. Coat of shit. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, whatever, what, like, they would have lost money. I mean, NXT is a massive money loser. Yeah. And and I kind of think how many, how much room have they got for that now at this point? And so let poor Junaki Yama go. He's now off working with, what, DDT or is it Noah now? Yeah, I think so, yeah, doing doing coaching stuff over there instead of uh, the NXT Japan that I don't and think is ever going to happen now. And it's... And it's all those peripheral things from it. And mm. obviously, it's people going to be going on to an independent scene mm-hmm. where, I mean, I don't know, may- maybe shouting, you know, all of the kind of, NXT UK's great, yeah, Jeff Hardy, all that stuff. 
is actually really going to come back to bite them if they do end uh, up on the independent. Wolfgang, Wolfgang was on Twitter. He's the one hopeful one that's maybe think, oh, maybe things are all right. He was on Twitter going on about how um, he wants to see if Mattel are going to do an NXT UK lineup. Imagine that. It'd be cheap though. They could just use the same model with the same beardy face for like all of Gallus. And like most of the rest, there, you know, it's 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 you know what it might happen. Maybe just put a mullet on Joe on Mark's one, don't you? Just need a mullet on that, and then you pretty much Joe, haven't you? Maybe the the regulators buying those toys. Uh... Kids don't watch this. (laughs) We don't watch this, and we allegedly were a British wrestling podcast at one point. You know, like (laughs) yeah, it's bad. Oh, we'd have struggled. We'd have really fucking struggled with that. (laughs) I'd have quit. <laughs> We'd have lost that Chris Travis tag team tournament seems like a very long time ago now really in hindsight, does. doesn't it? <laughs> Please no one go back in the archives and listen. No. Um, anyway, <laughs> anything more on, on that stuff uh, or should we move on? What wanna... I'll say is if, if some of the guys get offered, let's say, a year extension, I kind of wouldn't blame them for signing it during a current climate. Oh, NXT, yeah, they're in a good position. The is going to hold. Yeah, the NXT UK wrestlers are in a better position than a lot of indie wrestlers are. Like, again, you know, we, we'll applaud uh, an Aussie Open for not signing a contract. Like, applaud the Chris Brooks. Those are the dudes that, you know, might be struggling right oh, now. Yeah, like Chris yeah. Brooks in Japan. But, you know, in general, and the NXT yeah. UK guys have been in a solid position. Um, so, yeah. It sounds like we're making light of these uh, these poor fellas who are going to be losing the contracts. Possibly. Maybe we are, actually. But, you know, we, we don't well, mean Well, you know, well, you've, not, you've wanted to steal food off their tables for years. I know, mate. I know. It's what You're I do. You're fucking food knicker. That's what you are. <laughs> Indeed. Um, while we're on like a WWE kick, do you want to talk this Undertaker documentary series? Yes. We, uh, <laughs> we all seen both uh, the first two episodes. We did promise last week we were going to talk about it. Uh, I think it's probably just going to turn into a conversation about the uh, the love story between Undertaker and uh, and Vince McMahon. Uh, I don't know. Mate, love story, abusive <laughs> relationship. Yeah, it does seem to be like a, a very like Undertaker like. The way he talks about Vince, where he's like, oh, you know, I'll be there. I'll take a bullet for him. And Vince is like, oh, I'd take a bullet for Undertaker. It's like, would you though, Vince? Would you? Uh, I feel like there's a bit of a a one-sided relationship here. You can tell watching the thing, Undertaker has got like his his lovely wife pulling him and kind of going, listen, mate, you need to stop wrestling here. That Roman Reigns match was a fucking joke. And then as soon as Vince on a whim's like, ah, come on, take. We can do one more. I feel like like Taker gets brainwashed in some way. It's a... It, I found the first episode fascinating for that. Second episode, a bit repetitive and not, you know, as a documentary, not particularly uh, the best. Um, but I did find a lot of that stuff quite interesting and uh, probably worthy of discussion. See, I thought the first one was like, all right. I was mm. like, ah, that wasn't bad. I was expecting more based on all this, like, wow, The Undertaker and this documentary. It's like the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary. Ooh, it's that. WWE's it version fucking isn't. And I was like, no. Maybe the Edge one was. This isn't, though. Yeah, I'd watch like four episodes of the Bulls documentary and then watch this the next day, I think. And was like, oh, this is nothing like it. Like, there's not the same level of nuance, of kind of context and history that kind of brings you to the, the moment that we're in right now. Like, no, this is nothing compared to that. And yeah, the first one was all right the second one i thought it fell off a cliff um i thought it was genuinely just eh like i i don't know what it was really 
about it that like some of the asides that were in there it felt like a wwe propaganda piece it felt like their worst instincts were all over this documentary they really overvalue the fact they've got undertaker out of character Mm. they are valuing that more so than they are making a great undertaker biopic a five-parter where you run through his career and intersperse moments from his career and different runs and have him talking about that mm-hmm. while you lead into these matches would be much more effective. How much filler content was there in that second episode? Oh, yeah. Like there was, it was just like so many pointless slow-mo shots of him and Michelle McCool looking over a, a river. Cool. <laughs> in, in fairness, God is pretty dope. And yeah, when God's God dope, dope. You're kind of like, you think, yeah, I'll have a stare over the fucking skyline. <laughs> like, God might turn me to fucking dope, I tell you that much. But, yeah, <laughs> honestly, uh, like, yeah, I, I get why people might enjoy this, but... Hmm. We'll, not we'll a season go... of it, though, Joe. Like, not a full season of it. That's what I learned in episode two. Like, there isn't a season worth of material. I can't watch Undertaker have a shit match and go, I'm retired. Actually, I'm coming back. I want to put that to bed <laughs> as a good match. Then as another shit match, it's like, right, putting the boots back on. I've got to erase the memory. If that's what it feels like it's going to be, doesn't it? Ten episodes of that. Like... And then the next one is the teaser that Saudi Arabia match, the tag match with Shawn Michaels oh. come back. And they're all talking about it as a botch job and how he's got to go and do another oh. one. It's, like, it's the same episode again. Yeah. Same shit, different day. Yeah. This is one. This is a one-take documentary, isn't it? You do this in 90 minutes for what they've got. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think you well, need it's the way they make these mm. because these stories they have to be happy they have to be absolutely great oh, you the know. edge one wasn't like that though we've got to be fair like the edge one was no, fantastic i was gonna I'll, say i was gonna ed- go into the edge one in a minute yeah but I'll, I'll give you uh so the re i'd say now the reason so the edge one i thought was really good i thought it was genuinely a great documentary right mm. but that is because edge is really relatable and Edge feels like a real human being that has gone through like real human experiences. Mm. And he seems like he's really down to earth. And he seems like a good guy who has what I would describe as genuine friendships of people you see him on screen with. The Undertaker feels like this kind of weird, quite awkward other being that really overvalues himself and I, we talk about wrestlers value themselves mm. I think he value himself in terms of a talent absolutely as a gimmick but in terms of his importance to WWE he really overvalues himself and buys into this self-importance that has been allowed to fester for years as this locker room leader and this guy of respect right and I was watching this thinking this bloke ain't really got any proper friends because he's so like detached in all of these weird relationships where he talks to these people having like weird awkward small talk he never has any meaningful conversations or like like proper banter like think about like when i see jp like <laughs> i don't have to like really check and be like hey man how are you how's things it's like he's one of my best friends we just get on with it same when i see you benno right if you put the three of us together we're not going to be having like weird awkward conversations where we have to like slap each other's hands and make empty platitudes by slapping each other on the back constantly and saying like whoa big man whoa yeah yeah and like doing all these hugs that are based around like some sort of personality trait whereas the undertaker i don't know it's like they've 
sort of develop this personality and that he's allowed this personality to develop where he is almost like a symbol of something rather than being a real human being. Therefore he finds it hard to have human interactions with people and people find it hard to have them with him. I can relate to Edge on many levels. When I'm watching Edge with Beth Phoenix, I can relate to the relationship. It looks like a real genuine relationship. I'm not saying him and McCool isn't. They seem all right together. Oh, I like that stuff. I can't relate to The Undertaker. He's completely unrelatable. Mm. I also don't find him interesting. Like, he's a guy. I was watching this thinking, right, he's some, like, Texas redneck. You know who else is Texas redneck? Austin. I fucking love Austin. He's entertaining as hell. He's charismatic. He's a really interesting bloke. He's a great storyteller. When he's on screen, I'm watching and I'm engaged. I don't know. I don't get that from The Undertaker at all. I just find him weird and kind of awkward. Mm. And I don't think he really knows who he is in a way. I don't know. I don't know. I'll stop because I've gone on enough about this. I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I kind of thought it's the way they make their documentaries. They're not going to ask him the kind of questions that we really want to hear. The closer thing to that was actually the Austin podcast, right. where you're getting an idea of the career retrospective and you're hearing him do it in kind of like sh- classic shoot interview ways with someone who he obviously deeply respects and gets the pressure of working at the highest level of the business. They never asked him that stuff. And again, I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to the last dance for it. One of the great things about it is they're not married to the idea of Michael Jordan as just this basketball genius. Mm. They're very much interested. And he's also interested in saying, actually, he's a tyrant. Mm. He's very much a tyrant. And he decides, um, you know, this is how we do these things. And he wants to be that bastard, as we said earlier on as well. Whereas for this, his role throughout WWE and the changing generations of it, that could have been the part where in Last Dance, it goes back to the early years and Mm. it flashes back to him working as Big Red and Mean Mark Callis. And it shows where he's coming up, where he's having to work cartoon guys. And then then it hits the mid-90s where he's in there working with really good workers and he's having to step up his game Mm. and work more regular matches. You do that alongside the contrast of Taker's body breaking down and he can't do it. And then you show why he's great. This sounds because unfortunately, great. This sounds yeah, amazing, because, JP. Get you to because, the job. Well, because unfortunately, what they do is, a lot of it is, oh, he's great, he's great, he's great, he's great. It's like, well, fucking show me why he's great then. You've got, an, you've got a lifetime of footage. You've got this interesting behind-the-scenes footage at WrestleMania 9, but we're not going to fucking focus on that because he's staring off at the lake. <laughs> Admittedly, the stuff at the hospital was all right. Yeah, that doctor playing his music while he was getting surgery. I thought that, that was, was fucking weird. How <laughs> weird is that? How much have you got to have bought into your own self-importance? I don't yeah, think it was his music playing as you're having surgery. Do you, do you want to hear that when you're going under the knife? <laughs> it's true. It's a very particular Funeral music fucking well. hymn. That felt like just Co- Dr. Humor. Followed, followed by a statement from the hospital that says complications due to surgery. <laughs> yeah. You go, oh, that that didn't look well good in hindsight, did it? Uh, I mean, I, I don't disagree with what a lot of you are saying. I think I'm maybe the high man on it just because I think I'm, I, I do. I have enjoyed the moments in it where, okay, he's not the most exciting person in the world, but I have actually found like the stuff with him and Michelle McCool quite endearing. 
Um, you know, I've been talking about them first meeting and her, similar to Beth Phoenix, having that concern about him wrestling like Beth did with Edge. I found all that stuff quite genuine. Um, you know, I I do find, like the Vince stuff blows my mind because it's a what a weird loyalty the two of them have got. But that that was oh. actually you know Kane actually did you see did you hear the Kane uh, quote JP when he said that he said something like if you're loyal to Vince Vince will be loyal to you. I was like yeah, tell that to the. I didn't. I didn't understand it with that Spanish accent of his, mate. <laughs> I couldn't fucking see what he was saying at all. Tell that to people, though, JP. The twenty-five people he sacked in a pandemic. Is he? Is he that loyal a person? Um, I actually found their their little old man relationship quite endearing as well. It's just not very well put together in a documentary because it does get circular, like we talked about. It isn't picking the most. It's an interesting thing. His kind of thoughts about being too old and wanting to retire. I just think there's a bit more interesting way to tell it. Um, but I still think... Oh. I st- I'm probably still a high man. I enjoyed little moments like that. I enjoyed him, you know, putting over AJ Styles and saying that he sees him as a similar similar body to, you know, to Shawn Michaels, a similar worker. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested when they get to that point, you know, about that match. And how I think that might about. be his last match. Yeah. Like, the way that it's setting up... How much? It's- that John Cena year, you know, when he comes back to prove it, like how much was it obvious? And it was we weren't podcasting at that point, I don't think, or we weren't talking about we WWE, were. or we weren't talking about WWE at that point. Or we're rest. allowed to, mate. The yeah, we, we were Brit Res. <laughs> um, at that point, though, like how obvious was it to have him? Co- like he killed the dead man the year after. Come back as the American badass. Do something interesting for like, your, your little last mini run if you're gonna have to come back at all. Um, I'm glad he did that with AJ this year, to be honest, because that is the way to go out for him. I'm hoping that's where this documentary goes and it makes it worth it, because and we find out that was supposed to be his last match. But knowing him, it's going to be another circular thing, isn't it? Where I thought it was my last match, but the pandemic, and we didn't get to have a match. So, you know what? And he wants a crowd. Yeah, I'm going to come back. We're going to do Saudi Arabia again. We're going to do five more WrestleManias. It's probably the way it's going, isn't it? It makes him, as much as I'm saying, like, I like certain aspects maybe more than you guys of the personality stuff with him and I kind of emphasise with him as a broken old man who just seems to constantly want to come back he loses me then where it's just like yeah this circular Terry Funk retirement he, he doesn't know when it's time to hang it up won't listen to his wife story repeated ten times over over the course of yeah. the documentary That's it seems like it's partly Vince though doesn't it yeah it do- oh he's got a real hold of love of and Joe like that that is what a what a relationship to psychoanalyze yeah, yeah. And I've, I was watching that, and my girlfriend was sat next to me playing Animal Crossing on her Switch, <laughs> and you sort of like kept watching bits and commenting, and even she saw that it was an abusive relationship where Vince McMahon is very much pulling the strings. Mm. And there was a bit where The Undertaker was like, after every WrestleMania, I go and I thank Vince. I'm like, you thank him because he's kind of almost forced you to come out of retirement to fuck up your body even more yeah. so you can go for another surgery all right you put another mill in the bank or whatever it is but you're breaking yourself while you're doing this mate like mm. you've not really got a lot to thank him for he's got more to be thanking you for really and i don't know how much difference he really makes the card at this point in his career but there was a bit as well where he's in the he's in that suv or whatever it is at the beginning he's like i'm really paranoid about becoming a parody of myself and i'm like you did that as soon as you came back for that Bray Wyatt match that had, like, no build after the Lesnar match. Like, as soon as the street was over, 
you were destined to become a parody of yourself unless you made some serious changes in terms of going back to maybe the badass gimmick or you maybe develop a storyline around you coming back and they never did it. Mm. And then you you further kind of reinforced you being a parody of yourself by doing all this Saudi bollocks mm. and having all these absolute stinking matches in Saudi Arabia. Like, it, there's a, I, I don't think he's a tragic character, but there's a tragic element to the story of him just continually coming back and he clearly wants to go out on this great match so before that Cena match it looked like he was kind of doing alright in the ring especially the, the exchange with Primo and he was training before oh, and you're yeah. like alright and then the Cena match went like less than five minutes and was a glorified squash match and you're like why didn't that go at least like 15 minutes why didn't they develop an actual match mm. I mean he could have gone out there and then you think oh was that vince politicking did he think ah give him a few minutes he'll get the urge he'll want to do saudi he'll want to do next year and you're thinking mm, should you be thanking vince here mate is he going to break you down even more and you're getting shit like vince crying on cue i've said it before i'll say it again i thought that was genuine as genuine as it gets for vince no i don't, don't buy it i oh. think that everything that that man does and that his daughter does is a complete construct i honestly wow. think they've been to some sort of lesson with someone who teaches people to cry on cue like some sort of acting class because the way they manage to turn it on to look like they're these empathetic people who have feelings for other people other than themselves and their fucking business and company i just can't buy i just can't buy it and like just looking at vince in this documentary again fuck me he looks awful that orange t-shirt that he's wearing when he comes back from yeah. his workout mm. the way he sends the camera people out the room like the bloke's a joke at this point yeah. in time like what is he sort of the bit where undertaker said vince is the only man who would arrange a meeting on a saturday yeah further emphasis on vince being a madman but then we get a whole montage near the beginning of the documentary which is just about him and vince for like five minutes and about how great vince is and it's like is this going to end soon and it just goes on yeah and then we get the big show making comments like take take and vince have been through the trenches together oh have they trench warfare were they in world war one together were they going over the top was it like watching 1917 or gallipoli <laughs> or something was it is that what it was i hate these fucking military war-based comparisons yeah. they are they need to die those types of comparisons i'll be honest when i was watching this my comparison more so than anything was right michael if we're going to compare these documentaries i've been watching to tv drama michael jordan is tony soprano the undertaker is basically ian beale in comparison <laughs> he's been there his whole fucking career he keeps going on and going on and they keep giving him story after story i'll tell you what bill does a better job in later life and taker did a cracking job after his daughter was murdered i thought overacting <laughs> sitcom bill is still my favorite era of bill and he's wearing those leather jackets and stuff but yeah a homeless bill a couple of great wives that, as well. was, that was also great as well all Beale is kind of good, really, isn't it? But there's a lot of bad Undertaker. Beale, I don't think, is a parody of himself. I think he's more self-aware than The Undertaker. And I tell you what, I take a five-part series of Adam Woodyard over a five-part <laughs> series of The Undertaker at this point in time. Who's had the better wives, Joe? Like, Undertaker had Sarah, didn't he? What's, what's he in oh, Beale's Sarah? Mel. <laughs> Mel's the one. 
<laughs> that that Millennium Wedding they had with Barry and Natalie. That was great. Uh, you know, male star of uh, Terminator. Oh, it, okay. I was going to say, yeah, which one was it from the Terminator film? <laughs> I, I forget, Benno. The fit one. <laughs> <Tom's> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I can say that. Um... I, I, I was just going to say one last thing on these. They're no, not... I've got a few more things I want to say. Because... <laughs> oh, okay. well, it's turned into an Undertaker retrospective now. The tragedy of The Undertaker, which is really what this documentary should really be, which they can't tell. That's a big part of the problem for me. They have to act like, yep, he's back. It's not like, no, this is really sad watching mm-hmm. this fella not go away. Without anyone ever saying to him at any point, you need to stop doing this. You are, you just don't, you're not able to do this anymore. You're, you're too, your body is too broken down. You can't do this. But nobody ever says that. And it's very much along the lines of, well, Taker said this. I was, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that um, I think is really interesting is the idea of all of these documentaries. The aim of them is always pretty much the same, which is the company is great. They treat every star on the way out kind of reverentially. And I think I'm at the point personally where I've seen so many of these that they like the trappings of the documentary, but without the actual kind of informative style. And instead what you're given is you're kind of given a lot of sizzle and absolutely no stake. So it's like Undertaker behind the scenes access. This is going to be great. It's not great because just because you're given behind the scenes access to the Undertaker. It's what you do with that access. And it's whether or not you ask him genuinely like kind of big questions about his career and about what wrestling's changed and where it is. Because that kind of stuff is interesting. And I always think that's the problem is you kind of hang him out to dry by, by asking him, so you're pumped to come back for Mania. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes, so here we go again. We're, yeah, rinse, repeat, same shit different year isn't it it's just the same thing again and again and who would watch this and think yeah get him in the ring now look how great he looks look at the shape he's in like again i'll repeat my girlfriend was in the room while this was on and she was like why is he still wrestling he looks like a broken down old man he looks like he's in worse condition than both of our dads yeah she said she also found him vile and he had terrible dress sense she disliked how important he seemed to feel about himself and then she asked me why are this company so obsessed with these old wrestlers why don't they do anything with younger guys and i was like oh you've summed up the problem as a complete outsider brilliant why isn't this story i mean I get the idea of The Undertaker, but why aren't they doing like kind of more of these documentaries with some of their younger wrestlers and trying to bring them over and try and show more of a human aspect? But as I was saying before, I don't think that's not the aim of these documentaries. The aim of these documentaries is a much about, about solidifying the brand and the kind of employer they are. And a few photos of Vince, you know, hugging Taker and the rest of it. It all links back to that childhood nostalgia. And... You know, I think I'm at the point where I'm just completely numb to it at this point. You know, it, it's one match a year. And I did also think to myself, and this is probably a really horrible thought. I thought, have you seen some of these Japanese lads? Have you seen the absolute fucking state of some of the Japanese lads who are wrestling into their 60s? Like, I know it's all Japan undercards and the rest of it. It's like, fuck me, Taker. Like, you know, coming back for that one match that you don't really need to, that you don't probably need the money for, mm. but you get emotionally blackmailed into it because the crazy old man who lives in the past wants this to be there, and the even more psychopathic crazy old man and crazy middle-aged man in Saudi Arabia who's also looking at his childhood, thinking, "I want Taker in there for this as well." 
So unless there's some left field turn in the next one where he starts admitting, going, I really wish I hadn't gone to Saudi Arabia. I feel deeply uncomfortable after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. I've done this for money. I mean, based Perhaps on the T-shirts, need... you're not getting that, JP. I very much doubt it um, <laughs> at, at this stage. I, I, one of the things I really hate is just the way that his ego is fed constantly. So he believes in this yeah. like locker room leader status and everyone's bought into it. I've always had issues with that. I've always thought, nah, this stuff's weird. Like, it's really are weird. Are they locker room leaders like, or are they management representatives? It's the to some extent. Come on. Yeah, but I always thought to myself, and I watched this, I was watching this thinking, my God, I would never, if I was a wrestler, be able to succeed in WWE because I would fucking hate this environment. Just watching it. Oh, look, it's The Undertaker. Let's go and shake his hand. We better shake his hand so we're not frowned upon. Right, one of the things I hate in life, pointless fucking stop and chat. So we have needless, empty conversation that doesn't mean anything. It's completely unmemorable. Like, imagine Larry David in WWE. He'd be fucked. On day one, he'd see through the place, he'd do a cracking episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm about it, and he'd fucking hate the place. I'd have to imagine having to stop and have these needless, meaningless handshakes with fucking everyone. That's wrestling. Just so you're not looked down upon. What a ridiculous business and what a ridiculous culture that exists there. And to me, this further reinforces this whole culture of respect. No, it's not respect. Respect is respecting people as individuals, not forcing everyone to go through some fucking ritual to reinforce some idea of control which is what that comes across to me as and I fucking hated it and I wanted to ask I don't know if you've got any more further points to ask about, or to mention about this documentary better because there's a couple of things I want to bring up on it I'll go for it so The Undertaker so I think yeah it, 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 to me it's undeniable that he was pretty great at points and had some of the most memorable matches of all time mm. The best match of all time, in my opinion, is still Michael's take at WrestleMania 25. I was there. My mind was fucking blown, right? Is he that great? I'm is not... the gimmick even that good? I'm hearing this stuff at the beginning it's of this. It's the most like, successful gimmick. That's true. But I'm hearing the greatest gimmick in the history of wrestling. I'm thinking, no, I don't like successful. the gimmick. I've never liked it. As a kid, I was shit scared of it. Shit scared. I remember the Yokozuna stuff. I remember the stuff with the casket and the fate taker. This is stuff I vaguely remember from being a kid. Mm. I was scared of it. Years later, Mm. I remember being like, I don't like this stuff. When the American Badass came out, uh, come back, I was on board. Yeah, I was in 2004, there. when, was it WrestleMania 20, when the Dead Man came back? I was like, for fuck's sake, this stupid gimmick that should have died, what, died years ago. Why have yeah. they brought this shite back? <laughs> I, I, I just never um, really liked it. I, like, it was, a, it was a gimmick that provided bad matches for a good six, seven year period yeah. until he was allowed to open up slightly. Then he got two and a bit years out of that gimmick when he was allowed to open up a bit more mm. and when he went back to the gimmick as a special attraction and i don't know i just i didn't like it supernatural bollocks yeah it's, it's never been for me either and it's funny because like through my life i've had so many like good friends who are big fans of the undertaker like my mate simon owen i grew up with when we were kids we'd wrestle out in the streets and he'd be undertaker and i'd go his tag team partner called gravestone which was my great creator wrestler undertaker but i was never that into it and the same as you joe like i remember like sitting there with him and watching that undertaker gravest matches video that came out in the 90s and he just bored the pants off me it was just pure it was just his matches grounded things to a halt, didn't it? And I never found them particularly scary. Um, and then, like, as I got older, 96, 97, he got, like you said, he got more time in ring. 
he was treated at that point as this like awe-inspiring WWF legend, and he'd only been in the company what six years at that point, which is which kind of blows your mind. And while I kind of enjoyed him more in that period, I still wasn't. It was like it felt like he was for other people. He wasn't for me. He was for yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. He there wasn't was... human enough for me to. I, I can't enjoy him on a human level. Mm. Even watching him in this documentary, I, I can't. I can't connect with him. No. See, I, I have a really kind of weird thing because Mean Mark Callis is kind of imprinted as one of my wrestling memories from the late eighties mm. of like really liking this guy because right. he came out and he kicked ass and he was massive. Mm. And then when he came out as Undertaker, thinking, I'm sure that's Mean Mark Callis, mm. but maybe he is a real Undertaker and he just looks like him. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, as we referred to a couple of weeks ago. Um, so for me, he's always been the gateway for the casual fan. Mm. And I've always been kind of fine about that, because if you ask casual fans about wrestling, mm. they would mention, obviously, Mark Calloway wouldn't mean anything to them at all. But The mm. Undertaker does have cachet and so much more than what it would ever appeal to us. Because yeah. once we were into wrestling, we're kind of looking past all of that stuff. Yeah. And you're kind of looking at how the entire card is. Yeah. And and so he's an incredibly important figure. And it's more that the kind of effect of him being around for such of this length of time. Yeah. But it isn't something. And I'm, I'm in agreement. The American Badass was the period of time where I was interested in him. Because and we talk about it a lot, the comparisons with TV. Mm. Relatable people that you can actually understand. Mm. And therefore you make the emotional connection to. Mm. You know, Undertaker, who burns down his family home, including his brother, isn't mm. something where I'm kind of like beating my chest going, yeah, I get it, mate, I feel <laughs> your pain. I'm not getting that shit. No. I'm looking at that going, well, this is clearly bollocks. And yeah. and there's a lot of that bullshit that's there. But the sheer longevity means that it's something that we all do, isn't it? It's that cognitive dissonance. You forget the shit, you forget Giant Gonzalez, other than the image of him stood there next to him. And you remember the Michaels matches. Yeah. And so there's all that stuff. That's what people are bringing to the table when they're watching this. Yet, I think there's an entire area of his career that if they'd gone into, if you want to make it definitive, if you're actually trying to do something that's good, if you put this on Netflix now, would people watch it? No. Would it get bad reviews? Probably, because they say it doesn't go in depth. It talks mm. about how great he is, but it never actually shows you. And that's the difference between the stuff they produce. You put it out there to a bigger world, they would have quite legitimate questions to ask about why people do this. And why do they behave like this? And why does Vince have this control over him? And they're things that they have no interest in ever going near. Well, this was quite a sycophantic documentary, I thought, overall. Oh, yeah. And to me, that's, the, that, that's been what the entire idea of The Undertaker has been for years in that company. And I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I I don't enjoy that on any level. I used to look forward to that WrestleMania match once a year. It was a big event. It was always good. It always delivered up until what was the last one that delivered? Only when Punk, they recognised that it was actually a thing, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Then it yeah, became interesting. But it was good for a, it was good for quite a long time. Mm. I think the Punk one was the last one that was really good. Yeah. But like I don't know on a weekly basis on weekly TV. Mm. When he was in a feud, so like I think the Edge feud is a really great feud, but it's yeah. Edge. Edge mm. makes the feud. Undertaker is just there. Undertaker, I suppose, what he means is, you know, him being the Undertaker is his part of the feud, if anything. Mm. But then Edge is doing all the kind of hard work. 
And when I think of great Undertaker feuds, yeah, you think Michaels, it's the ring work. It's not any angles that lead into it or anything. I just find there were so many limitations around the gimmick and it immediately spelled out hokey and silly. And that's what I just found completely unrelatable on just about every level and I couldn't buy into yeah, it's funny because obviously the three of us agree on it, but like I've had, like I said, I've had so many friends over the years who disagree with it. You know, up to now, one of my best mates, Carl. Who, congratulations, by the way, he's had a, he had a baby this weekend. Yeah, congratulations, uh, Colt. Did he call him Mark? He didn't, and I expect either Mark or Batman or Bruce or some kind of combination of that, and it didn't happen, and I was shocked. Um, but like he, he'll be listening to this screaming at it because he's one of those big Undertaker fans who just he just loves him. Yeah, and I just never got it. While he's having a sleepless night trying to feed a baby who's trying to get to sleep, and he <laughs> just shouts, f- listening to us, then shouting, fuck off, and we're saying that it isn't yeah. that great. But I, I, I look forward to that. I was going to say, like, on his behalf, or like maybe Justin from America, who's like another one of my best friends who loved Undertaker, I kept having, like, through my life, I've had best friends who, like, love The Undertaker, and I don't know why. Um, but, like, yeah, I think that their defense would be, yeah, but, you know, there's the, you know, obviously there's the American Badass era. There's the kind of, I suppose, there's the early 2000s era where he's like, the, you know, the heel stuff. I never really liked that big red stuff. A lot of it is, the, you know, the big mania matches. A lot of it is just the endurance of the character over years, which I have got a degree of respect for, for the fact that it did get over. But it, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of, like, younger WWE fans who've only ever known this Undertaker, the Undertaker who turns up once a year at Mania, or at least turns it on once a year at Mania for those first five or six years of the, you know, the... The, the tens um for the streak uh who only really know that and it's like a yeah it's like a legend that feel feeds into itself but I, just, I wasn't i wasn't into that like i know you're higher than me joe on you know the sean match i'm definitely not high on the, the matches i'm not fat, not high on the triple h matches that didn't do anything for me it's just never worked for me so maybe i'm the wrong person to ask on it um if we have, if we needed to take a defender i'm sure carl would come on and uh, and give us all the reasons why he's great or justin or some or one of my other mates what but, i'll say is there was a ne- but they did a good job with with him uh, and Michaels and Flair I think in 2008 I honestly think they did a storyline that went from 2008 up to that Triple H match in the Hell in a Cell one where there was like this development of like Michaels then a development of Undertaker Mm. and then Undertaker's like kind of beaten down in the first Triple H one he's got to come back and prove himself and I always thought he should have retired after that second Triple H match I thought that was the perfect way to go out Mm. you concluded that four year long storyline in some way and I definitely got something out of that because there was an aura around those matches as well and he could still work at that point in time when he wanted to Mm. it did feel like he was saving himself for that one match a year and he could still deliver on that stage Mm. it was that Brock match I remember watching it with my brother and just saying this isn't very good Mm. and it was kind of like yeah this is bad and it was kind of a surprise because his matches at Mania have been quite consistent for some time Mm. at that point I think for me if there's one thing that sums up The Undertaker and why I can't relate to him and why I'm, I'm just not a massive fan and I'm not that interested in him, there's a scene in this documentary, I think it was in the first one, where The Undertaker turns up somewhere and you've got Kofi Kingston, Big E and Heath Slater looking like they're having a right laugh, right? And when The Undertaker turns up and they all stop what they're doing to shake his hand, all have a very awkward interaction with him that doesn't seem genuine, mm. Heath Slater sort of tries to make a little bit of a joke in there that Undertaker kind of ignores after he's sh- sh- shaken his hand. And I thought, them three lads look like they're having a right laugh. 
Who would I rather be? One of them or him? I'd rather be one of them. And who I would I rather be hanging that. around with? Him or them? No, because you've got a genuine friendships. Would and... you take their career, though? No, but I'd take, <laughs> having a, I'd take being a real person Fair. and having personal connections and relationships with people mm. over being someone that had been turned into a symbol um, and someone who subconsciously controls every situation he's in mm. based on some weird respect narrative that has been invented around him over the years to intimidate and control. Give me, let me be Heath Slater, a guy who looks like a right fucking laugh, and he was in his couple of appearances in Total Divas over The Undertaker, because I bet he had a right laugh over a couple of beers with Biggie and Kofi that night, and I'm sure The Undertaker sat in his hotel room, miserable, without any real friends or any real human interaction. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I think I think I probably start. I don't know. The thing is, if you take the Undertaker career, you're also taking the Undertaker broken body. So maybe I stand down on that. Uh, on that point. Um, plus, like those lads got to spend a lot of time at catering, and I believe the WWE catering is really good. So, you know, yeah. there's that as well. Ah, Kofi and Biggie have done all right. Yeah, true. That's true. That's true. Kofi, Kofi particularly, had a very well. long career. Who's, cry- who's crying over the Undertaker winning the belt? Yeah, true. I almost shed a tear when Kofi Kingston won that belt, and I'm completely detached from this product and have been for years. <laughs> I'd shed a tear if Biggie ever got near a belt, to be honest. But yeah, that's that oh, is that's odd. <laughs> no, in a good way because like it's not happening, is it? Like it's never happening. Oh no, not in that company. Um... I've often wondered that with him. Of all the people <laughs> they've got, of all the big guys, it's like here's a big guy you've got who's kind of over with your audience. If mm. this is the route you want to go down, it kind of makes sense. Mm. And he's got a personality. <laughs> but no, Baron Corbin, <laughs> which sums up what Joe says, the, the utter disconnect that we have with the product. Oh. Speaking, speaking of the product, I don't know if you've got anything more on Undertaker, but I was going to just throw it out there. Anyone care Drew Gulak left? Anyone care Becky's left pregnant? Um, they're big news That stories, happened apparently. immediately as we stopped recording. Last week, yeah, the, yeah. Last oh, week. Tragic. Couldn't cover that one, eh? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We lost JP. I, I like the position he's in as we've lost him. <laughs> Technical issues here with, uh, with no JP. Is he coming back? No, I think we've lost him. Did you have any thoughts, uh, Joe, while we, while we wait together? <laughs> no, someone's pregnant. Cool. <laughs> I, I don't want the product. I don't care. Uh, Drew Gulak to 41, because the WWE accountant the tweet about him, didn't he, saying uh, it was it was a footage of him and Daniel Bryan. It was Daniel Bryan and his training partner. And I was like, wow, that's that, that's how quickly uh, you're out of favour. He's been forgotten about. Yeah. He's not landed anywhere interesting in Drew Gulak, though. Fair play to him. I think people saw, thought that one was going to be like a release and I think it turned out to, to be that he'd asked for it. Um, I think there's been rumour about him not getting paid particularly well. Uh, again, he's one of those guys who came in for 205 Live. Um, I can't imagine he was on particularly good money. Good him for standing up for himself in a pandemic, if that's the story, is probably my main takeaway. Yeah, it sounds like his timing was bad, though, considering the standard and the type of person they've been letting go. Maybe bet on himself and thought well they've been using me quite a bit recently maybe i've got a chance here but yeah what shame for the guy but hey right well we were gonna move, we'll move on to our next subject as we uh, await jp bringing his uh, laptop back to life how much you bet his laptop's frozen is that oh, the here one? He is. oh here he is oh here he goes hi jp i'm leaving this uh, in yeah, the edit by is. the way jp i'm not doing any editing oh did week. you you're not doing any editing <laughs> okay still here. so I'd... 
How did you two filibuster then in that case? <laughs> we pretended my to care about you, Gula. <laughs> I mean, I will say that they, whenever he is back, there's the added benefit. But I wonder whether or not how much of this, uh, you've probably gone into it, how much is Brian's influence just going, mate, fuck off out of here. Let's hope Honestly. he follows him out the door. Yeah, that is a point, isn't it? Let's hope that happens. It, like, that was the, the immediate kind of thing for it as well. Mm. And do you know what? There's an indie landscape if he decides to go back to it that's kind of well, not yet. Well, yeah, sorry. I completely forgot there's a global pandemic <laughs> there for a few seconds. Sorry about that. It's oh, been a great five The world isn't my TW save. Where things are fine. If things were right, slash... it would be, JP. If things were all right in the world, that's the world we'd be living in. Mate, it's blue velvet. That's all <laughs> I'll say it is. And that's very much Lynchian-style booking. Um, but anyway, yeah, back to the... Yeah, hopefully you'll do all right. Sorry, I just jumped back into the conversation. It's all good. On. Well, to be honest, I, I, was, I was looking to move us on to our main event of the evening. Um, mm. The film <laughs> that we, we said last, stupidly said last week we were going to watch, John Moxley's Cage Fighter. My God, this thing was it debuted on Fight at the weekend, and we should say we uh, grapple were, uh, were were lucky enough to uh, to get a code off our, our good friends at Fight, which is uh, Fight explained by uh, some of us have seen it. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, lads. You yeah, two, sorry, you two, sorry about that. You two saw this whole thing. The, the uh, no, no, I didn't. Oh, did you finish I it? Joe, Joe's Joe, the guinea pig. Joe, Joe watched this whole thing right through. I couldn't finish it either. JP, and Joe, Joe watched more than us. Watched more than us, Benno. Wow. This is this is becoming a regular trend. <laughs> well, no, look, it's a film. I've got. I don't mind yeah. watching. I prefer watching bad films to like oh. watching lots and lots of bad wrestling. Fair. I get more out of watching bad films, but mm. I do wrestling and I like to watch bad films occasionally. So to remind myself of like what a bad film is and I don't watch it as much as I used to, but this was mm. the fucking pits. Like the last really bad film I'd watched before this was the um, Noel Clark written Fast Girls. Noel Clark, friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> no. The uh, British Spike Lee, he may have, you know. Uh, no, he's nowhere near as good as Spike Lee is, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, this Fast Girls was fucking awful. But Fast Girls had something on this which for me said it all. This was bad. This was really, really bad. Now, the best thing about this film was John Moxley, who stood out head and shoulders above everyone else mm. as a genuine charisma and really has something about himself where I think he can kind of fit in in any situation. Like, I could really see him making it as kind of an actor doing walk-on roles and stuff, mm. if that's what he wanted to do at some point. Like, there's something about this bloke. I was thinking, could you see him as a fucking menace in The Sopranos? Could you see him turning up in an action movie as like a sidekick of someone, doing some dastardly things? I really could. I could see him in Under Siege on that boat with Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones and Gary Booty fucking skull up. I really could. Like, that was going through my head. The rest of it, Chuck Liddell should never go near a film set. Oh, he was bad. Again. Christian filmed all of his scenes in a day. Why is he the MMA just... guy, by the way? Why is he not like that's so weird, uh, isn't he? Oh, fuck that. I've just got a bigger a point about all of that stuff, but yeah. So the, the, the MMA guy, number one, is oh. Box. He is an actual MMA fighter. I looked his fight record up. He's fought, fought in like Cage Warriors and Bama quite a lot over it. Sounds about right, yeah. But also, like, the film is based around him. 
he's completely uncharismatic yeah. and is a bad actor, yeah. right? He's also the underdog. He's the MMA fighter. John Moxley is the wrestler. Yeah. The wrestler steps in to the octagon and just beats this experienced MMA fighter. And it's John Moxley's first fight. And yeah. then it's about this guy's like redemption story. You're like, what is the this? It reminded me of Black Panther, a film that I thought was fundamentally booked poorly, even though there were components that were good. Why the fuck was Michael B. Jordan the heel in that film? Yeah. It reminded yeah. it reminded me of that. Although Black Panther was considerably better. Oh yeah, it's a solid <laughs> <I was> film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was. This was tough. You know what it reminded me of, Joe? It reminded me of, like, you know, when you're, like, when I was a kid, like, I remember writing this, this like, year 11, no, not even year 11, I would have been much younger, maybe year 6, writing a story about how we got told to just write, like, a, a, a little story that could go in a book, and my story was about how me and my mates started the band, and my story was about how, like, and then the band, we had a gig, and then the gig went really well, and then we got a record contract, and then we were the biggest stars of the world. That's what this film is. It's like, yeah, this oh. wrestler... He's, he's going to join MMA. And guess what? He's immediately fucking amazing at it. Let's never do any training segments about it or explain why he turns out to be any good. Bear in mind, well, I've only seen the first 45 minutes, so maybe they explain it in the last 45. But it was proper, like, the, the type of fantasy thing that somebody would write on a Tumblr account or a year six student would write in a, in a short yeah. story about how John Cena became the greatest MMA fighter in the world. It was or so a storyline WWE, my book. Yeah, that well, too. That too. I was going to say that there are like, and Joe's hit the nail on the head. They've made the wrong film. The wrong film, the right film is the wrestler going into MMA and everyone thinking that he's a joke for getting into it. And he may lose, but he can have the redemption in the kind of loss. It's, it's Rocky. It's Creed. You just follow that kind of pathway and it's more interesting. And the idea of he's really popular and he might do all of that stuff. And like you say, Instead, they decided to go with this fucking charisma vacuum who just anks in his kitchen by the poker table quite a lot. With his, his wife and his manager. His girlfriend in Streatham, where I lived as well, which made me think, what, is Chuck Liddell in Streatham? What part of Streatham? <laughs> I is think the they Brixton feel... Because I live Brixton. I used to live Brixton Hill, not far from there. That was near a Streatham. That was near a, oh, what part of Streatham? Anyway, I forget. But then I also live near Streatham Common as well, over the other end. No Streatham very well. Very curious. Nice houses around there as well, <laughs> as a side note. If you invested in that in a property way, you'd have made out like a fucking bandit as, as well. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that. Bit. Sorry. <laughs> Keep yeah. going to I the other Chuck Chuck Liddell <laughs> is so bad. And the whole, like, at times I was like, is he... Like I've said in it, I assume Chuck Liddell has moved to Streatham. Rather than doing a training montage, they decided to put in what is effectively a promo package that a UFC fight would have just before it, where it interviews, and I quote the talking heads, Matt Hardy, Tommy Ray, Bully, uh, Tommy Dreamer, Bully Ray, Tommy Ray. Santi Santino's in there. <laughs> so he's got a mixture of MMA, so Brad Pickett's on there as well. So oh, London yeah. is all over this as well. With CGI that seemed to range from, it looks entirely like the UFC's opening Mate, those graphics. green screens. Mm. The use of that green screen was fucking shocking for those crowd yeah. shots. And yeah. what you're left with is this angsting hard cunt that you don't really care about. 
looking at memes of himself on the sofa and you're going, <laughs> you so deserved bad. that, mate. You went in there, you took the piss <laughs> and you showed an incredibly poor takedown defence. We incredibly to... poor. With a but... referee at some point he's holding on to the cage and I'm like, he's been doing that for 30 seconds. Herb Dean would be in all over that shit. He'd like to think so. God knows <laughs> the UFC these days. Might just let that shit go. Um, there were posters <laughs> by the bus stops for this legend. They were shit. That manager... I think I sent a message oh, to you, Joe. I was going, God, I hope he's killed. Is he killed, Joe? No. <laughs> oh, he's fuck. really... Do you know what happens at the end? Because you didn't make it to the end, did you? No. no. Spoilers for yeah. um, Cage Fighter, anyone who was uh, planning on watching it. So I started this last night, and like <laughs> two minutes in was like, fucking hell. All those credits. By the credits, yeah. you knew it was bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I lasted like... 45 minutes like i was on the phone a lot and when i'm watching a film like i put my phone away yeah. and i was on the phone like straight away and i was like okay i, I kind of need someone else while i'm watching this and i thought right i'm turning this off i'm gonna have to watch that first episode of the undertaker documentary which was better than the film yeah. um because uh, i needed to watch it for today anyway so I've watched the film when I was working today. I was doing some very basic admin tasks that were kind of mindless and I could just have someone on the background. So the 45 minute admin task, I watched the last 45 minutes of this film and it made it slightly more bearable. <laughs> but the end of the film culminates. So he goes to fight some guy. He can't get a time. He can't get a rematch. So he has to go to LA to fight some bloke. I think, and he has like a training camp with Luke Rockhold, who Tommy also, Gunn, or Tommy, yeah, something Gunn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who also wasn't very good. Um, there's like a montage over that. Luke Rockhold gets annoyed with him because he doesn't make weight at some point. Um, I think he lost that fight as well. Uh, yeah, I think he did. Uh, my mind's sort of going blank. Gina Gershon sort of has a few bad words of him and the manager at one point as well um i'm sort of wondering Deserved. She... he's on a fucking downward trajectory yeah i was sort of wondering why she was in there she was in jungle fever that i watched the other night yeah. as well i was like what this is i remember in killer joe might have been the last film i saw her in really oh um free chicken drum drumstick yeah. yes yeah. she's the, um uh, the red sauce. do you remember the woman that larry almost sleeps with in a uh, curb when he puts that sheet over him Yes, the uh, yeah, that's, that's it. That, he, he goes, it's like the Muslim woman, isn't it? And he thinks that's the way they have sex. Yeah, Hasidic Jew. Hasidic oh, Jew. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's no her. offense to anyone. <laughs> that's how I remember. It's her, a so. booking angle to me, potentially. <laughs> well, uh, JP, as soon the as Larry I saw David her, a program. I didn't pick up on the fact at all. That's it. Bloody hell. As soon as I saw her, JP, I thought she's a bit of JP. Let's be honest here. Oh, um, two hours 20 and no one's listening. It's fine. We can get yeah, No one's listening. But anyway, he ends up because this guy who's having this match with John Moxley for the belt gets an injury three weeks before the fight. So this bloke ends up getting the fight. The manager basically forces the fight on him. The manager's very happy when he manages to force Gina Gershon into accepting the fight while she's live on the air with on Christian's MMA radio show. I suppose Christian's like the Ariel Helwani or something of this. Where is he? Is he in the is he in the big spoons on Streatham High Street when this I think is going Christian on? filmed all, all of his scenes in Canada. I think they filmed a lot of this in Canada. A lot of the stuff on sets anyway. Um and then he goes and fights John Moxley and he overcomes John Moxley and wins the belt. And then John Moxley talks to him about going for a drink or two or three 
and having a rematch for the title. And then it goes to one of the worst post-credit scenes I've ever seen in my life, where it seemed like Gina Gershon was just ad-libbing really awkwardly. And I just felt sorry for her. And was thinking, how much are they paying you for this? Because this is like some of the worst acting you've probably ever done in your career. You've gone from working with Spike Lee, the Wachowskis, uh, William Freakin, and now you're doing this. Larry David, now you're doing this. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) a bit tragic, really. A terrible film. Um, Don't watch it. Joe, we're not grapple rating, but we're Uh, on IMDb. IMDb, okay. It wasn't like the worst I've ever seen. So I didn't go one. Is that still Killer Bitch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> jumper for me. A, a, a jumper makes this look like a masterpiece, mate. <laughs> like I went two stars on this. Wow. Okay. Oh, sorry. So this, two, out two out of ten. Two out of ten. Two out of ten. So one yeah. star. On one IMDb, star. one star or one out of five, JP. Yeah, one out of five. If it was okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm one out of five or two out of ten. Yeah, I, I get. I only saw the first. Half. I basically saw exactly half the film, and I was like, "And I knew your review already, Joe." And I really wanted to suffer through it just for podcast content, but it's just that bad that like too much. Yeah. Oh, bad. That you're right. Like those first two minutes were the tip off. Like you said, JP. That was that was when I should have checked out. Everyone when it in went it's that terrible, comedic stuff except for Moxie. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. But everyone Which in it's terrible. In the opening credits, when they're doing like after, the um, after his fight. With the pitching and movies and stuff going, it's going to be Fast and Furious, but it's on ice. And it's all oh, those type yeah, of yeah. oh. His manager, I was having a look at his IMDb. Do you know what his first acting role was? He looks familiar. Go on, who was it? 2008, he was in an episode of The Bill. I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can't believe That's you didn't give it five but, I mean, if people do want to watch it, obviously they can use the grapple code. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to Twitter, you know, experience I'd the badness. Awesome. I don't know if it's even a so bad it's worth watching one this, JP, if I'm honest. No, it's not. It's not. If I'm honest, like, we've got to... Uh... No. But if, you, if it does sound like the type of thing you want to watch, what a horrible plug. Uh, go to if, grapple, if it does, after this, you've got problems. <laughs> please seek some help. Seriously. Because oh. if you think after this, yeah, I'm going to watch this. Right. <laughs> yeah. If I was going to recommend a film that's like so bad it's good, I'm going. I don't know, Football Factory well, or Green Street. There you the, go. Yeah. It wasn't. It's not that. I got reminded by the time I I put on Freddy Got Fingered for my housemates, <laughs> and some of them got 45 minutes in and just went like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Possibly with a bit where he's helping g- give birth. Yeah. Do you know what it doesn't have? It it doesn't have the Pakistan sequence. It doesn't have the daddy, would you like some sausages bits, which are inspired. It doesn't even have the high point of perhaps stuff that lasts like a minute, which at least Freddie Got Fingered had. We watched that at school last day of year 10. Wow. We had a vote on what film to watch. And I think it was between <laughs> that, and, that and Notting Hill and Freddie Got Fingered. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, my big thing I in school was, was us sneaking off at lunchtime to watch Tom Green. Uh, or to watch Jackass. Like, that was my uh, teenage years at school. Oh, I don't think we yeah. ever watched Freddy Got Fingers at school. When Tom Green put that... I think he put... Did he put a statue? He put up a statue of his mum and dad having sex on their front lawn and <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, yeah. He would do stuff and he'd go, Mate, I've laughed when Bam Margera has pretended to put a gorilla... Like, put an alligator in the, his parents' hotel room mm. and his dad just is will run off and take a shit. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. he nearly shit himself. That stuff seems funny. Tom Green, it seemed like it had a much darker, nastier yes. edge. 
Yeah, you went um, right to the end. None of which is in Cage Fighter. None of them. <laughs> if anything, if you've got a choice, Freddie got fingered. Yeah. And that a lot of you aren't going to enjoy that at all. And we haven't, got a, don't... we haven't got a fighter referral code, unfortunately, for Freddie got fingered. So, yeah, you'll have to uh, find yeah. it to watch him. I've yeah. slagged this Undertaker documentary off, but watch the Undertaker documentary ahead of the Cage Fighter, honestly. Like, the Undertaker documentary is uh, easy enough to watch. Yeah. But yeah. you've got we did, we a lot of shit. Just watch The Lost I, Dance, to be honest, Joe. Let's, all, let's, let's level with yeah, the people. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's where, what we spend that's the time doing. Well, yeah. if we're going full Kermode and Mayo and we're having to pick something to watch, because also something we haven't mentioned, and we're not going to really go into much detail on because it's very late, that Road Warriors documentary was a big oh, I piece. I forgot about fucking, that. It was a big piece. Exactly. It was a big piece of nothing. <laughs> oh, it was, it was the animal, were wild. animal had far too much power. You know what it was like? It was like the, um, I love bringing up the rap comparisons, but have you seen Notorious, the uh, Biggie Smalls biopic? And no. the, the executive producer is P. Diddy. The other executive producer, mm-hmm. Biggie's mum. Guess what happens in the film? He's a perfect human being who does everything right, and then he dies at the end. And it's like none of the stuff about him beating up little Kim, or none of like the you know the, the bad stuff that you hear about him. Just the saint he was, and that's what kind of this was. It was like I don't, you do get the bad stuff, but at the same time, it's like. It's just a fluff piece. It, it's clearly animals got far too much control. They don't go into steroids at any point, which really shocked me. They do go yeah. into the addiction stuff, but it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah, he was off the rails. Oh, we didn't oh. he love to get into fights in bars? Isn't that hilarious? Maybe Another slow-mo, out-of-focus shot of a fucking strip bar. Yeah. And some bald lads throwing him over the top. Yeah. Maybe- dressed up like in some comedic yeah. way as if it's like the extras from the oh, Blue Oyster was a lot of that, like, Academy. Treating it with light fingers. And yeah, maybe I'm going too far. They did, to be fair, give a bit of detail on the drug stuff, but not all the detail. There's more to those stories. There's more to why he left WWF that, uh, that Meltzer will tell you all about in The Observer. Um, yeah, it's it's all a bit. Yeah, it was just fluff, wasn't it? It didn't need to be an episode. Absolute like, there's no reason for us to spend time on it. Here's the Road Warriors. Weren't they great? This is what they did. And I was watching it going, I know all this. Like, this isn't anything dark. This isn't very interesting. Yeah. They're not really exploring the story here. It felt to me like they were on um, the documentary makers were on uh, Talk is Jericho, and they were talking about how much they love shoot interviews Uh... and how that got them in. I was like, they'd watch this shoot interview they keep using and got the idea from the episode, from the shoot interview that they keep referring back. You know, the one they kept showing on the show. The one with him in the gym. In that gym, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing that, you know, did you notice? It felt like they were just <coughs> using unused material. So, like, that random book where Goddard just starts telling the story about how the LOD gave Vince McMahon a doomsday device in a strip club. And oh, it's just yeah. like, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's just like, that was just some footage we have, and it, it kind of mentions LOD. So they like, talk about it. that on Talk is Jericho. Like, they can't believe that happened. The, this guy took all their finishing moves and stuff. Like, there is a bit of like, you know, I get I get it if you're like, you don't know wrestling, you don't know that story. So you might be like, what the fuck? This guy's fucking mad. Mm. But it just didn't fit. And I don't know. It wasn't a very good documentary. And well, another theme of this episode is me slagging documentaries off. <laughs> but I'm going to say again. You sorry, Joe. positivity on progress, Joe. Uh, well, yeah, no, rash, rationality. <laughs> the Road Warriors, the most overrated tag team ever. Like, I don't get it. Like, they, they don't have good matches. Like, find me a great Road Warriors match. They don't exist. Uh, yeah, they did some power moves. It's not about moves. the matches, yeah, though, is it? I, I understand their presence. Oh, I understand yeah. what they are. But for me... You've got to do something as well. You can't just go, ah, throw this bloke around. The Steiners threw people around. 
They had fucking great matches. I don't know. I, I think for me, maybe I can't separate my childhood memories of thinking they were the most awesome thing in the world in the early 90s and not caring about matches at that point. I don't yeah. doubt, though, if I went back and tried to do like a Compa Road Warriors matches, I'm not going to have the best time. Uh... Like, when I was like 12, like when I got into wrestling again, like, I sort of vaguely remember him from when I was a kid. Like I remember the studs and stuff, and I remember the water rush stuff vaguely. Mm. I remember them more in like sticker books and stuff from the right. era. Yeah. But when I sort of started watching lots of stuff again, when I was like, it would have been like 13, 14. Even then, when I didn't know that much, I thought they were shit. I was like, this gimmick looks like crap. And it oh, would have been no. the latest stuff I was watching. Oh, well, that's, it would have that been explains like the, it. The 98, 99. Like, oh, that was terrible. LOD 2000. Yeah, yeah, and maybe a bit in 97. I was like, this is fucking shit. But even when I go back and I've watched stuff in the 80s, I'm like, I don't don't get this. Like, I I sort of get why it got over, Mm. but I don't get how people can watch this now and go, oh, this is really good. Oh, I don't know. I think maybe... I would need to see some. I was asking you, Joe, about this, about whether or not there's any good sort of New Japan stuff. But to be honest, if they'd done this story and say it was Kurt Hennig... It would more or less be exactly the same episode, obviously, with some specific details changed. Mm. It's a culture. A better documentary is a bigger one. Obviously, they're not going to do this as well, about the kind of 80s wrestlers and the effect that they had and the road and the lifestyle changes comparing it with today. But that wouldn't fit in with the kind of show they want because ultimately, as we've said before, at times it's a very entertaining but tabloid documentary series. Yeah, you, you can't do an episode for every wrestler who died of drugs. To be honest, I think that's kind of the lesson on this one, because that's not. I mean, yeah, it's horrible to say, but you well, Meltzer was saying there's going to be a third series. Okay, there are tales that they haven't done. The Zahorian one that Joe mentioned, mm. and some, one that I was thinking about, Chris Candido and Sonny. Yeah, that's a, that's a story. Um, Sonny in herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a whole lot of stuff you can do with that. And it's like That's the real dark side of the ring. Yeah. The China ring. would be one as well. I mean, it's, it's, do they do China in the first series? I can't even remember. No, 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 no we haven't had that. No. So there's, there's options, isn't there? Um, there's options for it, but they'll take possibly safe ways out. Yeah. I think we'll have more, we'll have more to say. Well, on the series, from hell or something yeah, that, that could be one. I think we'll have more to say next week when we come to the O&R, of which we've, They've been building up, and we've kind of been building up in our brains. I believe the talk is Jericho with um with Martha Hart is really eye opening. Um, yeah, we've been quoted a few times uh, this week by different outlets having a go at the WWE Hall of Fame being a fake Hall of Fame. I love that on her side on that one. Um, I hate those fans who drag her through the mud. This fucking grieving widow. Um, as if she's the worst person in the world for not letting her husband go in Vince McMahon's fake Hall of Fame. Um, I'm excited she for is- that. She has every right to be as livid with that company as she is. Yeah. They yeah. she lost her husband and her kids were very little when that happened. Mm. And like but my fear is with this, said it as well, Cornet and Russo. And and I'm there thinking, if that's the case, I'll almost be tempted not to watch it and just listen to John Pollock's documentary on it. Which oh, yeah. is likely to likely to be, you know, <coughs> so much better. But I'm fearful because after the Benoit stuff, even though there's been enjoyable moments of it, it's very much been on a downward trajectory. I'll say on that point as well, I obviously listened to Pollock's Owen Hart one. There's a really good uh, Kill yeah. the Town episode with Landstorm and uh, Don Callis, about you. where they did a Road Warrior Hawk um, 
audio documentary. So much better than Dark Side of the Ring. Go with that. You can find it. I think uh, if you Google it, uh, you can find uh, an alternate link for it. Because I think the, the main feed's down. Listen to that, to be honest, rather than watch that show. Um, I listened to uh, Jim Valley and Fumi Saito mm. on oh, yeah. Road Warrior Hawks. Well, that was so much better than the documentary. There you go. The materials a, there. So much both. more of an insight into him mm. and Fumi's relationship with him. They were mates. And then so much more about uh, the Kensuke Sasaki and Hawk uh, version of the Road Warriors as well, awesome. which I found okay. quite interesting because that was the version I didn't really. I've seen matches, but I don't know a lot about them, how they mm. came together and stuff. Mm. And that was actually really cool. So I'd. I really recommend that as well because you get more out of that than you will the cool. kind of documentary. Well, I mean, like I say, we'll talk more about Dark Side of the Ring next week with like the season finale. Mm. Uh, next week we're gonna we'll be talking the AW pay per view as well. I know briefly JP because we're running a bit out of time, but I know. Did you watch the the TV this week? Did you watch the Jericho um, <coughs> Pineapple Pete match? Uh, Sugar Dunkerton. I did. It wasn't much, was I it? Did. It wasn't what it what I was building up in my head. Um, I don't know. No. I kind of got why they did it in the sense that he got his shine and then Jericho just hit the um, Judas effect straight away for the win. Yeah. It did feel like a squash. There's probably the affinity that we have with him that yeah. we're happy that he you got know it. What? That's probably it. You ha- know, we're, we're the however, high men, aren't we, on Sugar Dunkerton? We are. But do you know what? I don't think he's going anywhere. Mm. I think they've liked him. Mm. I think they like the fact they used it. They managed to get a little brief storyline out of it. Mm. Jericho would have would have pushed for it. I could easily see him being involved in that stadium stampede from a crowd perspective type way. Mm. I can see him being like one of the kind of focus people in the crowd for the rest of it. So <clears throat> what he gets from this mm. is very, very, is is a lot from it. But like I say, as a match, it kind of really wasn't there, was it? No. What I did think, you make of the show overall, though? It was just, I mean, after me last week saying they turned it on at the right time, this was just yeah. a throwaway second show in a pair of tapings. Really, I dragged for me. I just didn't find it interesting. A lot of adverts yeah. for the Cage Fights film, a lot of dead oh. air, a lot of long matches that I just I wasn't feeling. I think it was that. Maybe I did. You know, I feel bad they'll saying it, but I did enjoy the live show last week for it being live. Maybe that's part of it too. I feel like they took the foot off the gas a little bit though, and I think this week going back it was live again. It safe, wasn't it? Yeah, this week going back live again with the go home to the pay per view. I think you know you get more of it. Like the fact that they even like they just dropped in, didn't they? That Mike Tyson's going to be the special referee for like yeah. <laughs> for the Cody um, Lance Archer match, <laughs> stuff like that. It just felt a bit like yeah, post produced. Uh, I don't know. Were I know you any higher? I know, well, the, the Tyson stuff. Mm. I mean, it's, why not? Why yeah. wouldn't you build it in some way? That seems rather odd. Why wouldn't you have him kind of put a promo in there that he puts on social media saying that he's going to be at AEW double or nothing? Mm. I don't know. I haven't come across that necessarily. Mm. I mean, he'll be working a lot cheaper mm. than, than anything else. Mm. Although, I have to say, sorry, going back to the last dance, getting someone in fucking rodman and i bet rodman's quite cheap as well these days that's your guy like like I, I i think you possibly get a bit more value out of that and maybe a bump from the last dance i it it's fine for what it is i'd normally like the idea if it was in front of fans mm. mike tyson being there going yeah fuck it it's a pay-per-view go mad why not in this context it's a bit weird he's just gonna walk out is he is he got a reality show and stuff yeah, I think that's the thing. He's still a name, isn't he, Tyson? It's obviously not 1998. 
you might bring them some attention, yeah. but I think it's just that. I don't think we're expecting anything major. Maybe he'll get into no. a fist fight with Cody or something, or, or Jake Roberts. Uh, I don't know. He's um, probably closer to working a match now than he ever would have at some true. point. That's true. You might I, get convinced. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Jericho could work him into an angle mm. with him at some stage. Like, I, I think there could be some fun, like, there would be some fun stuff with that. Mm. Fair enough. But yeah, what's your excitement level going into the pay-per-view? Obviously, we're going to review it next week. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to having something to do on a Saturday night, I've got to be honest. I feel guilty yeah. about it. Um, I do still think it's the wrong thing to do. At least they're better than WWE. At least they are testing people, and like UFC. You know, WWE, they're actually getting left behind a little bit in that regard. I, I, again, it's... It shouldn't be now, but it is now. So I'll watch it. We'll talk about it. We'll probably have a Gar- grapple Garathon as well to uh, to give us some grapple insights on that too. Mm. It's a show. Uh, maybe I'll feel more excited by next Saturday. I don't know. I think it'll be quite good. Mm. I actually think it'll be a good show. Okay. I think there'll I think there'll be some some good matches on the card. Given the environment, I find it very hard to think of anything that will go above four stars. Say for sort of really good, but on the whole. I'm I think it's I like the fact it's kind of got some of the B pay-per-view vibes to it the Brody Lee and a main event stuff which you're not throwing away anything too big on this mm. um, it's like how you booked fighter fest when <laughs> what you did is you went back to a Moxley Jericho rematch because mm. you didn't want to burn anything out on a pay-per-view like fighter fest even yeah. though you drew 36,000 people to that <laughs> hey, you know what, JP? I know what I'm doing. I'm yeah, CW. that's some kind of bug on the game. I would, that, to be honest. Yeah, the game's got a few weird bugs like that. Uh, oh, it, it, yeah. does, it doesn't very well uh, emulate TV ratings and uh, attendances, unfortunately, at the moment. But I'll yeah, take I it. I wonder if that was going to be 3,600 and they missed. They put the decimal point in the wrong oh. place or something. Come on, Joe. I'm booking this great storyline here. I've got Kenny turning heel to become the cleaner again. Turned on Cody Rhodes, telling stories here. Yeah, I've got a Jim, big thing. Jim Cornette on. managing Jacob Fatu. <laughs> Just because I've got nothing else to do with him. There you go. Um, yeah. But anyway, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we'll talk. We will. We'll talk more AW next week when it comes to the uh, the pay per view itself. Uh, I assume you've got nothing on that, Joe. You're not. You're not. You're not the. Uh... You got to watch it though, right? Yeah, I'll give it a watch. It's a pay per view. I've not watched AEW in. Well, a few months now, mm. really. I think it must have been March I last watched them. So, mm. yeah, it's a pay-per-view. I'll give it a watch. I can't say I'm excited for it, really. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure I'll get something out of it when I'm watching it. But it's not something that I'm, like, I don't know, thinking of or, like, getting excited for. Put it that way. Low but expectations might be a good thing here. Eh? Maybe, maybe. Low expectations, but, you know, there's still no crowd. So, yeah, but it's a it's a pay per view. I like AEW. Mm. I have missed it the last couple of months, but I haven't missed it when I listen to reviews and I know that what is going on is not taking in pl- taking place in front of a crowd. So mm. I'm not that bothered. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll talk it next week. There you go. You have to look forward to. It. At least we've talked you into watching it, Joe. Uh, people can look forward to that review you can look forward to having Gareth on um, but yeah I mean before we go I did want to just quickly just quite say very quickly um, we'll get some of our plugs in in a minute but before that uh, I do want to say you know uh, obviously there was some really sad news today in the wrestling community Larry Sonka mm-hmm. of 401 Wrestling um, died today and the news was uh, was broken this afternoon by 411 themselves and yeah just a just a note to just say how really you know devastating that is from a wrestling 
So they are kind of wrestling, um, are part of the community, you know, reviewing mm. and, you know, podcasting. It all kind of ties into together. And I can't think in my adult life, like I have been reading Larry's reviews since, you know, the early 2000s. And as James, you said on Twitter today, how many times have we, you know, being honest, you know, we have, you haven't managed to do some notes for a match and you think, who's going to give me a detailed, detailed breakdown of the match that I can use to jog my memory and it'll be Ian Hamill or it'll be Larry Zonka. Um, and like, he's such a big part of this community. And yeah, I did just want to say, you know, how, how, how horrible that is to, to hear. And, you know, obviously our thoughts with, you know, the likes of Ian uh, and the people who, you know, were really, uh, were close with them and just, you know, people in general who were uh, affected by that as family as well. You know, he, uh, he has a man who yeah. had and he was very proud of that, wasn't he, JP? He did uh, yeah. always talk about that uh, online too. He did. And, I mean, Joe will know from times when he'd be round here recording with us that I'd have 411 Mania up open with the kind of results for it as mm-hmm. kind of using it as your as your cheat sheet to go through stuff that, that you haven't made notes for as well. Um yeah, I just second all of what you said. Uh, mm. Very tragic, and given the age as well, you know, young man, young family. Yeah, incredibly sad. Yeah, yeah really, really a big blow um, for our part, I'd say, of the uh, the wrestling media community today. Uh, mm. But yeah, uh, other than that, uh, like I said, we'll be back next week. Follow Grapple on Twitter at Grapple Up. Follow JP at JPGP. Follow me at Benson Richie D. Uh, yeah, follow my. Uh, you can follow my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Benson Richie D. If you're so inclined. Uh, obviously, JP's uh, your Twitch is going to be coming as well, JP. The, the I I'll be doing to. a. Uh, when you put the post up in the morning, okay. the first thing the first thing I'll be doing is putting a Twitter poll up just to see if people want to see this. Good luck. With a couple of screenshots of hmm. just like this is actually what you're getting yourself in for it. Love it. And and setting a very sort of strict series of rules about this. I.e., it's a game. I'm not some sort of voodoo puppet master wanting to ruin people's lives like I'm like it's the fucking Truman show. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, there you go. You can look forward to that. Uh, download BWE if you didn't from last Friday to hear our draft and vote as well. Vote in the poll. Um, pick your favourite card. Uh, you've only got a few more hours to do this at uh, likely the time you're listening to this. But yeah, again, we'll be back uh, likely next Sunday night, maybe slash Monday morning by the time the, uh, the podcast comes out. But until then, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Devil without a cause, and I'm back with the beaver hats and Ben Davis slash 30 pack of strolls. 30 pack of no road gain in the propane guns. The chosen one, half the living proof.